Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Lalashana. Lalashana. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, the, the witch lady from, well, is she a witch? We might find out <laughs> from, uh, like, the... God, oh, I don't have the title in front of me, and I can't remember it. La Casa Que Arde de Noche? Is this what we're talking about? That's the one. That's the one. A lot of movies. Uh, This week first, we're talking about Outlaw Gangster VIP 2 from 1968 by director Keiji Ozawa, also known as The Outlaw Sword, uh, second, obviously, in the Outlaw series, but... we covered the first one way the hell back in episode 12. I don't necessarily recommend you go back to listen to it. Those early <laughs> ones are pretty rough. I, I feel like anything earlier than like 20 or 30 is rough territory. We, we were learning how to talk on a podcast. We did not have <laughs> the formula down. The format was way off. Yeah, it took like <laughs> quite a while before we got there. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's good to come back to this, and very helpfully, it opens with a recap, which is pretty thorough. It, like I I didn't clearly remember the first movie because we watched it over two years ago, and uh, <laughs> it, there's a pretty thorough recap. It's fast, but it hits all the necessary bases, which is good because I remembered nothing of it, and of course, I was getting. Com- it conflated with uh, the Yakuza all the other papers. Yakuza movies we've watched. <laughs> all all the video games yeah. I've played since then, because you know they released two Yakuza video games a year, pretty much. Yeah, and they're all kind of based on this and this guy. Like this guy is he, he, so these are these are written by uh, Goro Fujita, who is Goro Fujikawa, the main character. Like he was an actual Yakuza, an ex Yakuza, wrote some novels. So they're based on books by this real Yakuza guy. Okay, okay. Was the Yakuza papers also based on books by a real Yakuza guy? I don't remember. Yes, yes it was. Okay. And I think it's a different guy, but it's weird because there's points of overlap. This feels like the romantic version. <laughs> this, this definitely feels like, yeah, the the tough boys don't cry, but they actually do version. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very emo. Uh, <laughs> Goro is an extremely sentimental character. He's a, he's a super sentimental. I mean, I, I feel bad calling him Yakuza because it's clearly not what he wants to be. No, no, he. Is, I mean, I don't remember how he gets into it in the first one, but here he does not want to get back into the life, but he does not have a choice. And he's sort of go, it's it's alluded to in this opening. So first, obviously, there's the thing with his sister who died when she was really young, and he's completely obsessed with her. Right. Yeah. To the point that he begin is he, is he dating the other girl? It's not. Hmm. He's just into hmm. her. He's yeah. into her. Uh, he's into all girls who look like his sister. All three of the main girls in this movie <laughs> all kind of look alike because they're all girls who look like his sister. He's a very distinct type. Uh, and <laughs> I, I thought they were all the same person at first. They look very similar. Like it, it's it's kind of striking, and they have similar names too. We got Yukiko and Yumeko. Uh, but so we we get the quick recap, and let's just go over basically at the end of the previous movie. There's this whole thing with Yumeko and Yukiko. Uh, Yumeko is the sister of his bud Sugiyama. The two of them were in like an orphanage together that they escaped from. And that's how they became Yakuza. 
Like the two of them came up in the Yakuza together after escaping an orphanage. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is literally the exact same backstory of the main guy from the Yakuza games and his best buddy. Yeah. Orphanage to Yakuza pipeline. Which is why I figure this, like, because this is a real guy. He's based on a real dude. It probably is the inspiration for the Yakuza game specifically. Probably. Very likely based on this real dude. So uh, Yumeko uh, is is the sister of Sugiyama. And then Sugiyama gets killed when he's trying to... Or no, Yukiko is the sister and Yumeko is... I thought girlfriend and Yumeko. No, okay, you don't know. Yumeko is Sugiyama's girlfriend, and Yukiko is the sister. That's that's what it is. Yeah, Yukiko is the sister because Yukiko is the love interest in the previous one, and Yumeko is his friend's love interest. But they're, you know, we have the scene where they go to the train station together, and she steps away for a second, and he gets stabbed to death. Right. Which they kind of do again in this one. They do sort of a variation (laughs) on it. This is very closely patterned after the first film. I'm sure it is. I just don't remember. Oh, I see. (laughs) With the the opening crawl, I I got all of it. I recall everything. So uh, they get killed. Uh, Sugiyama gets killed. And this is what sends him on his revenge trip. Uh, He at the end of the movie puts Yumeko and Yukiko on a train because they're going to go back to their hometown. Hometowns are really important. Oh, yes, yes. We're going to be talking about hometowns a whole lot in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Because he was going to send them back there and we had that whole extended montage with him putting them on a train and he's like, don't worry, I'm going to just get on a sec. I just have to go get something. Don't worry about it. I'll catch up with you in just a minute. Don't worry. And then he goes and he assassinates Ueno the boss who was the boss who ordered the hit and then he gets stabbed a whole bunch and it seems like he's dead at the end of the movie he seems to be walking towards his death which Mm -hmm. is kind of the same thing that happens at the end of this one spoilers (laughs) i want to imagine that every single time at the end of the movie he's just like almost dead and just like collapses in a more and more public space i want the next one to be in times square And then by the time we get to Outlaw Gangster VIP 8, he collapses in the middle of the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, I mean, it's got to happen more and more publicly. (laughs) So that's the basics. Uh, He's got all of this guilt about his sister. There's that very dramatic statement. Like, she died before ever having one moment of, like, satisfaction or happiness in her life. Like, god damn it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, man, he's so emo. Uh, I cannot stand to read it. I don't want to know oh, what she man. felt. Yeah, that, that really stuck out to me. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> That's not cool. There's money in the banana stand. You know what that letter could have said, man? <laughs> yeah. So very snowy opening. I love the snowy uh, mountain town that they're in at the beginning. I wish we could have stayed there, honestly. Totally. It should have been the the, the main location. It, like, they could have brought the Yakuza there. They were there. They were there. I mean, the guy was already <laughs> there, just setting shit up with his little lesser band. Although, of course, it, it sets up the big emo conflict and the letter yeah. thing. and the, Yeah. And maybe and, it is a true story. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know how he true can't, it is. He can't not rush home in time if the whole thing happens at home. Exactly. So 
Goro's on a train reminiscing, and this is where we see the flashback. And it seems like at the end he does, like, it looks like he's going to die, and then he just got better. We, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> dot, 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 he got better. He's on this train, and he doesn't look the worse for wear. <laughs> Whew, glad I got out of that one, okay. Good thing. I mean, I guess that's how we're going to start the next one. He's just going to be on a train somewhere, and like, I guess he was okay. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> die on that volleyball court. <laughs> no, the quick thinking of the volleyball captain's first aid skills that she learned in grade 12. But we won't even reference that. Who knows? No. He got better. He, he was yeah. dying in the street in the snow. And then, you know, he's on a train. It's fine. So we've established basically he's super protective of women, especially any who look like his sister. He's got this really strong type. Uh, they're so distinctively looking kind of similar. <laughs> um, and he... His mother was a, a sex worker. She was a geisha and she died pretty young. So uh, he's got this whole thing about sex work and he believes in doing unpleasant work to take care of others. You know, like this is what his mother did and he idolizes her, but he also demonizes sex work and he doesn't want anyone to be a sex worker. So he'll sacrifice anything so that someone else doesn't have to be. Kind of... Uh kind of in contrast with our second movie which Very is all about so. how sex work <laughs> fucking rules well, mean, it's, no, it's sort it's of just about living in the world of sex work it's yeah. it's just about that that existence but what i like about him is that even though he is very much against sex work he does not despise sex workers he doesn't like the industry he doesn't like the exploitation but when he meets with uh the, the lady, I can't remember her name quite yet, uh, Kurohara, when he meets with her and she has become a sex worker in between, he's not mad at her in any way. He's like, ah, I feel bad that we're, we're both in the exact same business. I, I like, I too am a prostitute for the Yakuza and I, I hate that we've both been brought here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and then he just says to her, like, but I like what he says to her. Um, if you give up, then you're for sure not going to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that he does have a real nuanced view on it, which is, you know, cool. It's fucking 1968. He's a Yakuza. Yeah. <laughs> and he hates it. He hates being a Yakuza. <laughs> uh, that, that's also really key. Uh, he, he has this great line in his opening monologue. It's, all Yakuza have is misery bound to their obligations. And all uh... I can trust is my three-inch dagger. <laughs> I, hmm. <laughs> I really thought he was going to say something else. Yeah, I know, right? But like, just, I, I, I do, it, this movie really does like to have it both ways. It's talking about, oh, it's a really bad life and, you know, it, it's, it's tough and it's hard and it, it's not fair to anyone, but it's so cool. All I can trust is my dagger. <laughs> it's, it's got that kind of push and pull to it. <laughs> yeah he he's always like trying to play cool when he's trying to get rid of the girls it's like you need to leave here this isn't the life for you yeah. go away or i'll beat you up <laughs> and they know he won't because he's just <laughs> smoldering with intensity so it never works no so the other thing hometowns of course very very important this is the other thing established he's talking about how hometowns really matter it's about your roots 
how you get away from the grime. You know, that's how you go back. That's how you get out of the Agassiz. You go back to the roots that you have outside of it. And this is like a fetishization to him because he doesn't have any. Yeah, which which is interesting because for those of us who do have hometowns, some yeah. of us don't ever want to go back. Well, yeah, especially I won't it, talk about everybody, but right, it's it's a very different thing these days. I think because of mass media, where uh, the rural hometown is the less innocent place. Usually, you, you don't you yeah. come to the city to get away from the rural hometown. <laughs> that's just like a, a suction of death. Like you're just stuck there forever. So it, it, it is sort of harder to relate to, but I get it as just sort of the spiritual thing, and especially just from Goro's POV as something mm-hmm. that he mystifies. It's this thing that matters yeah. so much to him, and he's never had when he doesn't understand it. Because he's always yeah. asking people about him. <laughs> it's the first thing he wants <laughs> to know about anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he arrives at Itasaki Station, where there are some women who are basically unwillingly being sex trafficked like they were hired as dancers and they're not being paid and held for ransom like well you know if you come work in the uh, the what is it like the bathhouse something like that yeah yeah and he looks and one of them looks like his sister oh my god oh man <laughs> just when he was about to get out of the yakuza he gets pulled back in over this bullshit he sees this lady, Ms. Kurahara, and she's like, you're ripping us off. This is bullshit. I'm going to go to the police. So obviously the main yak is a guy there slaps her and Goro, yeah. he couldn't possibly not step in. <laughs> yeah. What's he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with violence. Oh shit. I need to get into violence right now. He's like, oh, I got to step in here. So these guys, they're the Inataki clan. And he's like, come on, guys. I, I like as well just his approach to all of this Yakuza stuff. He will talk to the guys like, come on, guys, this is in bad taste. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is such a shitty scheme. Like, I get it. I, I know this Yakuza stuff, but, you know, just get your managers and just settle it. Uh, come to some sort of agreement. Don't make a bunch of ladies cry. That sucks. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> and i love the uh, the yakuza's like yeah you want to take this somewhere else and talk about it he's like yes i do he's like fine yeah i could do that Let, let's yeah, step aside let's to go. settle it and he's like ladies get on the train get out of here run uh i'll take care of this and <laughs> he very easily beats the there's four dudes and he just beats the <laughs> shit they, go, they yeah. go step on some abandoned snowy train tracks and he starts beating up and all of them run away <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's nothing it's just like okay screw you guys he goes back and Kurahata is the only one who's staying there because she saw his smoldering eyes and <laughs> he's like you need to leave town if you don't I'm gonna hit you <laughs> yeah which is like and she's just following so. him like a stray dog <laughs> <laughs> but she gives him a scarf and uh, it, it's very sweet you know he he He's trying to play really gruff, but she gives him the scarf and runs. She gets on the train. And there's the the cute bit where she's waving from the train, but he he doesn't see because he's not looking. But he is wearing the scarf. And he's going to wear that for pretty much the rest of the movie. He keeps it. Uh, It it does mean a lot to him. Uh Uh, Much like the t-shirt in in La Casa. (laughs) 
so he gets to the the town uh where uh uh Yumeko and Yukiko yeah. are staying. He meets Yumeko first. Uh she's tragically dying. She has a tragically dying disease. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's I, it's supposed to be like consumption or something, but you know, she she has a <laughs> disease. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dead girlfriend disease. Yeah. Uh she she has the cough cough every, every few seconds. So you know immediately. She's like, "Oh, I'm so thrilled to see you." And she really is. Yeah. Like it it means the world to her to see him. Uh, by the way, so much crying in this movie. This uh, we're, we're about 13 <laughs> minutes into the movie, right? And yeah. this is maybe the fifth or sixth time we've seen Goro cry. <laughs> and we've seen everybody else we encounters cry other than the people he beats up because they just run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those Yakuza yeah. don't cry. He's the only one. Yeah, it's like she gives him the scarf. He cries. Get out yeah. of here or I'll beat you as he's crying and she's yes. crying. <laughs> yeah. And of course, in the flashback, we, he's just crying the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get there and she tears up and sees him and he tears up to see her. And then she's like, oh, I'm so excited. Yukiko's, uh, you know, Yukiko loves you. She's been so excited to see you. Uh, and she comes in and she's crying. Just they're all crying. <laughs> he starts up crying again because yeah. he sees her. <laughs> they just have a big like crying cuddle pile. <laughs> it's 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 adorable. And he goes outside to talk to Yukiko about where things are. And it's like we don't have any money. Uh, the all of the money went to the funeral for uh, Sugiyama. So uh, we we just don't got anything. I mean, what are we going to do? I'm kind of thinking about maybe I go get a job there. And like, no, you can't possibly do any kind of, like she's thinking about becoming a geisha. Yeah. She's the only like, option open. It's like, no. Yeah. No, no. I'll chop wood. Yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. He basically becomes a porter. Uh, yeah. he, he's, you know, using a hook. He's unloading boxes. And, of course, getting bullied by the guys who he just beat the shit out of. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how how much time has passed. He's working now, and the Inataki guys obviously show up. I'm going to make some yeah. trouble. And <laughs> this is a line that you mentioned, too, and it's one that made me laugh out loud at this point, because <laughs> the, the guy said, the main dude, the, the, guy who, the guy who has the blade and the long coat, the dude who he took the blade from the first time and showed is like that's not how you stab someone you want to see stab and they all run away uh and he says don't look at me if you end up crying he's like he will <laughs> yeah i was thinking crying <laughs> you're gonna you think i'm afraid of crying i cried three times on the way to work today yeah i feel like he's about to tear up hearing that right now <laughs> <laughs> it's a glandular issue i can't control my tears so they take him to the boss because he, you know, uh, Yukiko's there and he's like, don't worry about it. I'll step aside and take care of it. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they take him to the boss and he's just like in front of all of them standing there. And it's like this bunch of fucking country yokels with too much time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you want to intimidate me? Hurry up and do it, man. Yeah. You are not frightening me at all. And they're like, all sort of coming in around him. They're in an office and all of them have weapons. And then Mr. Q comes in. 
Oh, he uh, knows Mr. Q from before. Yeah, he knows Mr. Q from the last movie, and they hung out, and he's like, whoa, guys, you check it out. It's Goro the Assassin. And I was like, Goro <laughs> the Assassin, you say? And he's oh, kind shit, of embarrassed. I actually heard of this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's everyone like, no. knows him. He, he like, gets embarrassed. He's blushing, like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> I wasn't like, going to say off. anything. I was just going to surprise say... you guys. I was just going to kill all of you. <laughs> so he talks to Q because Q is sort of a dude who I guess he thought he was an okay mid-level guy before yeah uh, we're gonna find out he's super not okay yeah as soon as someone becomes a, a yak as a boss they become a total shithead it's it's just like what happened with um, Morimoto not Morimoto uh Yamamori was always Yamamori. a shithead. Yeah, Yamamori was always a shithead, but he became so much more obviously a shithead once he was a boss. Like, he mm. really held it in check until he became a boss. Because there's that whole thing where he gave him all the money and everybody <laughs> cried. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when Goro cries, he means it. Yeah, there's a lot of crying in Yakuza films. It's just in the Yakuza papers, nobody means it. It's all just to get what you want. <laughs> uh, Shozo means it if he ever does it. That's true. Shozo means everything. He's a very sincere guy. Mm-hmm. I, they'd be buddies, I bet. Him and Goro. Oh, yeah. Shozo and Goro would get to get, get along great. As long as they're not on opposing uh, <laughs> clans. You got, you got to get out the chart here. I think Shozo is, has He'd better chart knowledge. Out. Yeah. So Q, he's planning to expand outwards into this territory. And he's like, you know, Goro, I, you've assassinated some people. I know your business. I Here's my card. I, I'd love to give you a job. And it's like, I don't want to get into this business. I, I want to stay honest. He's like, all right, I understand. But, you know, you're going to, you'll call me. Here's you are 100% going to get back into the business. There's just no way you don't. <laughs> there's There's no movie if you don't. Right. So it's, it goes over the winter. He does try. He he makes a real effort at becoming just a normal guy. He does logging over the winter, chopping, yeah. hauling. It's basically he's doing the Rocky Four workout. He's he's like <laughs> training to be a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Totally. <laughs> but of course, they, they, she's she's got the dying disease. And they don't have the health. Money. It just it keeps getting worse. They need and, money. And Something he loses his job. Happened. That's what he loses it was. His jobs. He get, he gets downsized basically, and it's it's kind of surprising. Like he clearly is picking up everything. He's clearly uh, like he he's become forklift certified during this time. Obviously, yeah. Like I'm surprised that costs they let money him to go. Do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, course, you know what I honestly think it is. We didn't see it, but I think the the boss is like says to Goro's boss like, hey. That guy who's doing a real good job moving logs, you don't want that guy on your team, understand? Yeah, it could definitely be a thing where they just needed him. And it's like, could you fire that guy and I need him? We'll yeah. give you some money. Or we we'll, will we'll kill you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So he hops on a train to Yokohama and joins the Yakuza again, very much against his will. Yeah, yeah. And they're all like, oh, man, it's going to be great. Goro's going to be like our best pal. And he's just, he just shows up. 
Well, I like that these these three Yakuza guys who come to meet him at the train station, they expect him to be a yokel because he's living in this little country town. <laughs> <laughs> right, even though he's like from the big city. And he finds them. Like he he sees them just kind of being Yakuza idiots and he just recognizes <laughs> the type, whereas they can't figure out who he is. <laughs> We're looking for a guy named Goro Fujita. You know who that is? I can't really like you. There, there's a point where he runs into them and they do like uh, a sexy girl reveal, you know, uh, the <laughs> the first Yakuza, he, he runs into a guy and we hear his voice and then we see the guy looking at his shoes and we do the whole <laughs> looking up his entire body, going up the legs to the face and like, hmm, because <laughs> he, he just like taps one of them on the shoulder and he's like, hey, buddy. <laughs> so there's uh hanamura is the the one of the three guys there's three guys there's wakabayashi hanamura and a third guy whose name i don't think i ever got uh hanamura is sort of the secondary guy he he like is always hussing people out of the way he he like pushes everyone out of the way and gets them into the first taxi yeah, and Wakabayashi, he's the guy who becomes the, the best Romeo buddy. and Juliet. Yeah. Yeah. He he's the best buddy. Uh and like he's the one like he seems to fall in love with Goro instantly. Like <laughs> the, when they're in Q's office right after that, it, it's totally a man, get you someone who looks at you like Wakabayashi looks at Goro. <laughs> he can't take his eyes off him in the office. He's it's like when you have a, a dog that is just totally obsessed with you and like staring at you, it's like, that. Oh, hey, yes, totally. So Q gives him 20 grand and he's like, all right, I'll take the job. And most people, it's like, you know, most people are pretty happy when you hand them 20 grand. It's like, yeah, most people aren't me. <laughs> it's a bitter thing to lay one's life on the line for money. Yeah. And he's like, eh, I guess it's better than being hungry. <laughs> Uh, so at this very moment, a bunch of Q's guys come in and they've been beaten up by, uh, the Izumi gang at the 12th heaven club. <laughs> so it's like, you're on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Oh, all right. Yeah. He really doesn't want to, I, it is, I, I would describe Goro in the Yakuza in this movie totally as quiet quitting. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, they go to the club where the fights happen. In the middle of the brawl, he just sits down and kind of gets oh, a yeah. drink. He sits down, he leans on, like, he has time to lean. He does not have time to clean. He, he's, a, he's a specialist. He will step in if absolutely necessary, but not until the last minute. And he does this every fight in this movie. <laughs> Unless it's personal. Oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but this one, he has no stake in this one. Right. So they head to the Golden Gate Club because they roust, they were roasted from the 12th Heaven Club and they went to a new place. And obviously a big brawl starts up and he just like orders all the guys into position and then sits back. <laughs> <laughs> Standing at the bar. <laughs> They're kind of getting their asses kicked at first. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's it's a fight. Like, it's yeah. pretty evenly matched. And then one of the dudes at the bar pulls a knife and is going to stab one of his guys in the back. Uh, I probably walk by Ashi. And probably. he steps in and disarms the attacker. <laughs> That's all he, he does, does in this fight. Yeah, it is the sole thing he does in the fight. 
nothing else. Uh, and then he gets distracted because he sees Kurahata working in the back. Uh, she's become a geisha. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, it's my sister. I mean, Yukiko. I mean, uh, fuck, what's her name? For a second, I was not sure who it was. Like, I was wondering, <laughs> like, has it been a while? Is that Yukiko? Is that Yukiko? <laughs> it, it did spot me for a second the first time through. I'm like, no, okay, that's Kurahata again. And he, he just like, uh, you guys finish this up. I'm going to go uh, talk to this lady. And they he goes into the back with her. And they've both basically become what they intended not to do. The The first meeting, they're well, like, I'm absolutely never going to become a Yakuza. And he's like, I'm going to keep you out of this business. You're not going to become a Geisha. And then, you know, six months later, and like, so we're both yep. doing what we didn't want to do, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so our plans didn't work out. Yeah, they're both pretty bummed, and she's she has this line, I wanted to thank you while I was still untarnished, which Goro rejects. Hmm. He's like, I don't believe in that shit. Come on, that's stupid. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> He's like, look, we're both in this business. Uh, whatever. <laughs> like, we're exactly the same. Uh, yeah. And he does like a corny speech looking at the sky. It's it, it, <laughs> This is the sort of thing that... Like I, I really enjoy this series so far. These two movies have been pretty fun, but there is a distinct romantic, corny, uh, silly feel to it that is absolutely not present in the Yakuza papers. Like <sighs> it's, it's especially in contrast to that that you watch this and certain things stick out, like him tearfully <laughs> looking at the sky and doing his corny speech about the horrors of being a Yakuza or a geisha and how they're kind of the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, whereas the Yakuza papers, it's just, well, got time to leave, you got time to kill. So he he has, like, he it's almost a motivational speech. He, he does his whole thing, then finally, just ask for Goro of the Kiyuchi clan. And he pulls out the scarf to reveal that he still has it, and he ties it Aww. around his neck. And it's cute, she, she cries. <laughs> this time he doesn't cry, he smiles. <laughs> Because oh, he's yeah. talked himself up. Yeah, and he's he's got to give her hope, too. Because, you know. Yeah, of course. As you once you lose it, that's it. You're never getting out. Right, exactly. So an important thing here is that someone else spots him. Ueno's brother. We don't know he's Ueno's brother yet. There's just this guy who sees him and recognizes him and starts very intensely carving something. Yeah, and he seems to know uh, Kurahara too. Well, that doesn't seem to. He does know Kurahara. Kurahara, yeah. He yeah. he does. Like I think he is her boss, or she works or, for him, or lives with him. I feel like I feel like he's the yakuza who's who's assigned to get her out of the game. You know, I don't know everyone, the one yeah. who's like he's her hanger on. He like he is with her a lot of the time. Yes. She is living in his place later. Yeah, and I think maybe she is now because they, they seem to so. just reckon like they're in the same place now. So anyway, they go to a you know post fight. They're feeling pretty good. They they had more of a success than when they were routed from the other place. So they're going to go to a club where Wakabayashi's girlfriend is a dancer. And here's where we get the whole fucking. Yak is a Romeo and Juliet shit. <laughs> yeah, she's a dancer, but her brother is a Yakuza from the Izumi clan. And not only that, it's Goro Senpai, Asami. Oh, shit. 
so they're just supposed to be buddies, so much drama plan yeah and i i really like the moment where you know he's uh asami is being kind of a dick to the the rest of the dudes it's like koro you're working for these guys and like shit you're with azumi i mean i didn't know but i'm you know i've, I've been working with uh these dudes I, i'm i'm on the q team I guess uh, I gotta. <laughs> yeah, I guess I gotta say something like, "Hey, you messing with my boys?" Yeah, I really like that because there there is a, a spot where it does seem like he keeps trying to start, like he he's being nice to Goro, but he keeps starting business with the other guys, and he's like, "Hey, senpai, you're not picking a fight with my boys, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's kind of at this point, he's kind of like, "I don't know if I am or now." <laughs> Yeah, he steps down. He's like, "Oh, uh, I guess not. <laughs> I, I will. I will actually get killed here if I do that." Uh, and he ex- he explains the backstory. Like, well, Wakabayashi is dating my sister, and I don't like it. My my little sister Kiko. Yeah, and he's also like, "Look, Kyuchi is just a really evil group. You don't know what kind of stuff they do." <laughs> Girls like, Come for on, example, man. I don't want to hear it yeah girl's like shut up man that's stupid we're, we're all, all bad we're yakuza <laughs> we're we're all doing a bunch of evil bad shit don't don't even try that shit with me get real man which don't i don't <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i guess he's I, I was expecting like kiyuchi to be way worse than everyone but no he's just the same as all of them yeah, just they're just all the same evil <laughs> not especially uh, evil just the same evil yeah, so I really like Goro being very self-aware in all of these sort of matters. Every time it comes, it's like, man, shut up. No, we're all the same. Fuck you. This Your clan isn't better than my clan. My clan isn't better than your clan. They're all just garbage. I, I do this because it's a job, okay? I need the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does kind of remind me of like those people who make their like minimum wage job and middle manager types. You know, the, yeah. the job is their life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people who are like a McDonald's manager and it is their yes. personality. I'm like, why? I, it's not a good job. It's just a job. <laughs> so Wakabayashi goes to talk to his girlfriend, Kiko, and she also is trying to get him to leave the business. It feels like every Yakuza is just trying to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, but he's all like, I, I gotta stay for my boys. Well, he figures... He does want to get out too, yeah. but he wants to do one big heroic thing, and he's sure oh, that right, they'll right. let him go. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's that's definitely going to work out great for him. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so walking home, Goro and Wakabayashi they're having a conversation about all of this shit, and he tests him. Goro's like. I want you to break it off with Kiko. It's uh, clearly causing problems. And she's like, this is one thing I can't do. I, I love her. That's that's stupid. And of course, uh, Goro's like, okay, you passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you were. Yeah, okay. He's like, okay, I... you're my bro. I'm a happy, you know, we, I, I, I get you. We're, we're not, you're not one of the shitty yet because I'm, I'm glad. But then what's his name shows up? He's like, Goro Fuji. Oh, fuck, whatever it is. Goro, Goro you killed Fujikawa. my brother. Goro, Goro Fujikawa. Fujikawa, you're prepared. Or, oh my fuck, I'm fucking it up. I'm trying to do Inigo Montoya. 
Yeah, so it's it's Ueno's brother, and he's yeah. like, "Holy shit! Uh, prepare to die. I I am gonna fucking get you. You killed my brother last time. He was the boss that you killed at the end of the last movie." He's like, "Oh, shit!" And he comes at him a couple times, and Goro just gives him a little stab in the leg. <laughs> he's like, "All right, knock it off." So, to clean up his wound because there, there's a part where uh wakabayashi tries to go and give like a killing blow after yeah, he's down he's like, like no quit dude. that shit hey no you, you know how long you're gonna go to jail if you murder someone just patch him up we'll take him to the hospital <laughs> 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 and you uh, uh, was like you want me to be in debt to you and he's like Shh dead or no dead i don't care it's nothing to fuss about it we're just gonna take you to the hospital because it's so much more hassle to kill you <laughs> yeah no shit i might have to like give a pinky and the last time i did that it didn't work out <laughs> yes he's like man no i don't i, I don't want to kill you I, i'm not interested in dealing with this revenge i nonsense. don't even dislike you you're probably yeah. a good guy it's it's always a thing with him. It's like, man, this is just a job. Why can't everyone just treat this as a job? It's with all you jerks. <laughs> He's like Serpico. He's like the Serpico of the Yakuza. <laughs> man, I do really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he takes him to the hospital. They drop him off. He'll come back later. Yeah. <laughs> and a telegram arrives at the main office of Kiyuchi for Goro. But he's not there to receive it. Uh, 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 Q gets it. Q. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's from Yukiku saying that Yumeko is on her deathbed. Come right away. Yeah, of course, like, Q just throws it away because he needs his dude to work. He, <laughs> he's got to get him to pull a double shift this weekend. I, I, I'm just going to need you to come in this weekend on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I love his little assistant guys like, boss, are you sure? It's like, yeah, dude. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind that it's the only reason he's even in my team. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty stupid choice he makes. Uh so we have this pretty sad montage of Yumeko just slowly dying and really just wishing oh, so man. much to see Goro one last time and everybody's that, crying. That's the train. Goro might be on this train. Oh, it's it's pretty hard. And like it's it's just especially it is such a like in in keeping with this movie being sort of an anti work kind of movie. It's about the him having to do this job because he has to because he needs to provide for the people he loves, but he hates the job and it's keeping him away from the people he loves. Like it's almost an anti capitalist film in a sense. Yeah, and, and like we cut to what he's doing. He's at a work pizza party and he doesn't want to be there while yeah, he's she's just, dying. He's just sitting there and there's a bunch of people partying behind him and he's just like looking off into space. And it's like he feels a disturbance in the forest. Yes, actually, it does feel that way. Because like it, it's it's just the it's it's the most perfect anti-work, anti-capitalist kind of thing for him to be like he's there there's this lady who he got this job to pay for her health like to pay for her medical bills uh but she dies and he can't go because he has to work yeah and that's that's just like that that's crushing and it's not work that he even needs to be there for no it's pointless it's just the boss work. wants him there yeah 
So Yumeko, while dying, she tells Yukiko, like, you have to go to the city and save Goro. Uh, go save him from being a Yakuza. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and she dies uh yeah and it's, yeah. it's sad it's brutal yeah. it's very like I, this is a movie that kind of really plays with the emotions it plays up emotions quite a bit mm-hmm. super emo yakuza movie <laughs> <laughs> oh god we, we haven't even got to the letter Fuck. right so we go to asami uh who also has a really shitty boss he goes to his shithead boss uh, uh who is uh izumi i guess i guess it must be uh, izumi. i guess so yeah and there's a girl who's given him a massage and he's just harassing the shit out of her he just wants her to get naked and, and have sex with him but she thought she was just there to give a massage and he's doing and, this in front of an underling of course yeah and meanwhile um meanwhile asami's just like man can i put in my two weeks notice yeah he's like I need you to have a bunch of reprisals against Kyuchi. And, you know, I might hand over successorship if you deal with this. Uh, I'm thinking I want to go into politics next year. I feel like (laughs) I've done all I can here. And, like, again, very heavily satirical and pretty dark in terms of talking about the the system surrounding the Yakuza in Japan. Oh, yeah. I mean... (laughs) <laughs> well, we've, we've talked about it quite a bit. The, mm-hmm. There was a lot going on in this time period. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the Yakuza are still a major power in Japan. Uh, like some of uh, Takeshi Miike's films are impossible to license because, you know, people in the West don't want to work with them because the Yakuza own parts of those movies. Like they, oh. you would have to make a deal with the Yakuza to license those movies to release. I didn't know that. <laughs> Some of his major stuff, like Visitor Q. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> so anyway, Asami, he, you know, he hears all this. There, it, it, sound, it seems like a sort of thing like, hey, do you want to take over the clan? And he's like, yeah, that's interesting. What I'd like to do is maybe leave. <laughs> I kind of just want to quit. Tell me, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go take care of this cutie thing. But after that... Could I just quit? I don't want to work with this anymore. I'm kind of tired of this business. And the guy's like, hmm, we'll think about it. <laughs> and you yeah. know that we you know what that means in the Yakuza oh, boss. Yeah. The Yakuza <laughs> boss. Uh, and of course, Asami's like, I've been thinking about returning to my hometown. <laughs> hometown. <laughs> kind of want to go back there. So Yukiko arrives in Yokohama and she comes straight to Kiyuchi headquarters. Because she knows where it is. She's been sending telegrams there, and she doesn't understand why Goro hasn't been getting them, because they've been getting thrown away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it wasn't just the one telegram. He's been tossing them all. Yeah, there's been a whole bunch. <laughs> so, Wakabayashi's there, and he's thrilled to see her. Like, he does not understand the all of the things that have been going around, going on around this. He's like, oh, this is his girl. I'm so excited. I'm a big fan of Goro. I'm going to take her straight to his apartment. He's going to be so happy. He's yep. not happy. No, <laughs> no. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why didn't you come to see uh, Yumiko die? Well, sorry, back up. <laughs> it's like, Yumiko died? It's like, why didn't you answer any of the telegrams? And like, again, respect to him. He doesn't even try to deflect or anything. He's just like, 
I, I love he just kind of immediately figures it out as soon as she says telegrams rather than a whole drama about yeah he's just like oh this is what happened he's like ah oh, fuck and he he do, he's not going to uh put it on anyone else she's like he he takes all the guilt with himself because that's how he does everything of course <laughs> but even though it's q's fault it, it's completely q's fault but he's not interested in deflecting the guilt but True. the yeah. thing with her last note is the one thing that like i don't it's like oh. man it's such an emo thing so uh, yumeko has written a final letter to goro that, that just to to say everything she has to say uh and <laughs> he, he won't he's like i won't read it and he he like sets it on fire and burns it and he's crying everyone's crying like Goro, i can't stand to know her true feelings right now yeah i can't take it i can't i don't want to know what she felt uh <laughs> and, and i'm just imagining it's, it's impulsive like... <laughs> it's it's like again i do think uh, Goro is someone with very high emotions. His emotions oh, run yeah. really high, really hot all the time. Uh-huh. And I think it, like it's almost like he has a bipolar disorder. It just he he makes these very sudden decisions that are very consequential. Yeah, like even the way he says it, like I can't stand to read what she's written right now. It's like, well, you might want to read it later. <laughs> maybe, maybe another time. Uh, you're, you're never going to be able to get this back. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> he burns it. So. Later, Izumi comes, uh, the, the Izumi clan just does a shotgun assault through the front window of the Q offices, just abrupt all-out chaos, just yeah, total assault. And of course, Goro's leaning in the back. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of guys with shotguns come through. There is a huge melee. He's leaning in the back, just waiting, <laughs> waiting for something to be uh, interesting to him. <laughs> hey, you guys don't need me for this. Yeah, Q comes and starts yelling at him. It's totally, you've got time to lead. You've got time to clean, you motherfucker. And (laughs) someone gets the drop on Q behind him. And he's like yelling at Goro about getting to work. And he's just watching this guy sneak up on Q. And he kills him (laughs) at the last second. And he's like, all right, (laughs) I'm done here. I just saved your life. Uh, I'm punching out early. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think my debt's paid, I guess. Yeah, it's the only thing he does. He stops that guy from killing the boss and is like, okay, I'm punching out. See you later. <laughs> so long. <laughs> you can't leave. We're in the middle of the dinner rush. Yeah, completely. Look how swamped we are with bullets. So he's just out. He he leaves. And Q <laughs> and the rest of the guys uh, bust into Izumi. They, they go to the boss's house and they fucking stab him to death. It's just like... Every like dude stabbing him. <laughs> 18 swords into his into his torso. He's not alive. Yeah, yeah they, they get him. They take turns. But the thing is, Wakabayashi has been absent through all of this because he was at his girlfriend's. Oh, she knew yeah. about the attack and she'd called him over there without him knowing that he was being pulled away from attack. But the problem is now everybody thinks he informed on them. Yeah, and that's why they think he wasn't there because he spied. And right. he just straight up didn't know about it. Yeah, he just had so, no idea. <laughs> he so he, was with he his cannot go back to the clan, even though he doesn't know that they hate him. It's just a total mess. 
So he's there with his girlfriend and he finds out that there's been this attack and he's like, wait, fuck, I've got to go back there. And then who should show up? But the wounded uh, Asami, her brother. Right. Yeah. He he shows up first and there is they have a knife standoff. But of course, Goro busts and he's like, hey, knock it off, you two. And they both just stop. <laughs> yeah. It's like the two fighting dogs like, hey, quit it. Like, hmm, OK. <laughs> And he's like, Wakabayashi, you and your girlfriend, leave town. Just get on a train, <laughs> get out of town. And it's like, uh, yeah, that worked for Sugiyama last time. I bet that's going to go great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it goes about exactly as well as you expect. Oh, poor Wakabayashi. We go to the train station and Wakabayashi's grabbed immediately. Yeah. Uh, and they they bundle him to a car and take off. So Kiko runs back to Goro's house and tells him. So he he heads to the Kyuchi office. Obviously, they're just torturing the shit out of the dude. Everybody's yeah. beating him up. And there's like this moment where a bunch of just nobody Yakuza who don't have character names all draw knives. And they're about to go after Goro now because like he's left the clan and he's against them. And yeah. Wakabayashi heroically takes all of their stabs. Like he just kind of <laughs> jumps in between and he gets stabbed like 15 times. He's done. It's incredible. It's like, wow, <laughs> dude. It's it's crazy. And he he it's like he does this spinning jump and just gets stabbed a bunch of times. He falls in Goro's arms and he dies there. And of course, Goro, he's now he's in revenge mode. We we've gotten the new Sugiyama getting killed. Yeah, and now he's now he's gotta kill this boss. Yeah, he goes after Q, but Q has a bunch of dudes in between him, so he slays like three of these nameless Yakuza just going through. He wrecks up the entire fucking office too. It gets oh, destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the guys with shotguns didn't do the damage that he does. <laughs> But he does get badly stabbed. He gets pretty badly cut up. And this happens to him a lot. He mm. goes through a lot in these movies. <laughs> yeah, but you know, once he sleeps, he'll be fine. Yeah, he gets out. He stumbles into Kurahata. And she takes him to Ueno. Because I think that she just lives there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. And, and like they, they clearly have some kind of understanding, I think. Ueno is in love with her to some extent because he still wants revenge. He's still mad, but he she tells him, if you kill Goro, I'll kill myself. And he's just kind of like, I guess this Yakusha shit is stupid. Yeah, he finds like, ah, fine, I guess this is all bullshit. And it, it also kind of helps that when uh, Goro wakes up, he mentions that there's this girl he wants to go like he he mentions Yukiko that he wants to get a message to her and you know obviously uh Kurahata is hurt by that it's like oh he has a girlfriend oh man and i think that kind of makes you know a little bit more willing to tell he's like okay he's got a girlfriend and so there's still a little like he's not just here to take my girl also <laughs> <laughs> And he's a he's like an old yakuza, so he knows how to stitch someone up. Oh so yeah, he stitches up the wound. And there's that great bit where Kyuchi come to his house looking for him, and he scares them off. 
<laughs> they're like hey uh we think goro might be here we're gonna search the place and he's like you better fucking find that goro motherfucker he killed my brother and i am going to freak out I mean, there's gonna be so much retribution against you if you guys don't find him and they're like i don't think we need to search this place <laughs> he's probably not here <laughs> uh, i love it <laughs> And just in terms of Ueno, as a more of a noble Yakuza or more of a noble former Yakuza, he's sort of contrasted with the boss as like Kiko is obviously a kept geisha that he has in the same way that lady who was being forced to into sex during the massage earlier was kept by that boss. And he's obviously way more caring. Yeah, yeah. He like he actually loves her and she likes him at least <laughs> yeah and like there's some emotion there he cares uh there's the part where they're both talking about her feelings towards goro and just all of the danger that they're now in by having goro among them and he's finished the carving he sets that on the the mantle and he's like this might be the end just just warning you <laughs> this could be the end of it, all of this stuff so goro goes he gets back to yukiko and they go for a walk they pass a volleyball court <laughs> and uh, it, it, i, I it really started... thought that uh like th this volleyball court is going to be called back to later on and i really thought that it was going to be like a comedic thing where a volleyball hits someone in the head it did really feel like a because they kept cutting back to it. it. It felt like something was going to go between, but it never really does. Like so, like a volleyball goes over and they all look and see this fucking bloody yakuza fight at the bottom of the hill. It never <laughs> happens. No, no. The only thing they see is just the dude coming. Well, we'll get yeah, to it. We'll get there. Uh, so yeah, there's the bit where they're passing the volleyball court, and it starts to feel kind of like the the Sugiyama waiting for the train thing again. It's like start feeling a little uncomfortable that they're out and they're you know happy and oh we're gonna get out of this what's your hometown maybe we can go back there what's the specialty of your hometown wouldn't you like to try it again my kind of you've thing. been to my hometown you cut wood there you liked it i don't think that's her hometown oh, i think oh, she was moved and also that's not you know because they moved there i don't know where that was supposed to be hmm. That might have been Yumeko's hometown. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. All this hometown stuff. Because <laughs> she's talking about her hometown, and it seems to be further north or something. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, okay. They've gotten a new place, because obviously other people knew about their old place, and they had to get out of there. They've got some new place over a bar, I think. And Asami comes to see them. And Goro's like, you need to leave town. I can't believe you're still hanging around town. Someone is going to kill you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And Asami's <laughs> like, no, I'm sure it's fine. It's like, for your family's sake, you're not going to be the one crying they are. Leave town yeah, right. for their he sake, has a man. And kid. Yeah. And he's like, man, seriously, go now. Give up. Give up this stupid debt bullshit. Just here, I, I'll give you a, a fucking stack of bills. He pulls out all the money they have. Take it. Leave. <laughs> I'm He's worried like, about you. I'm going to actually go to the park where my wife and kid like to play, and I'm going to look in their window sadly. Well, he's like, you know what? You're right. 
I agree. I am going to leave this. I, I'm being stupid. I'm going to leave this business. And he shops for some gifts for his family and immediately, you know, like, oh, no, they're going to kill him. He's not going to get yep. there. Nope. If he had gone straight to the house, it would have been OK. But as soon as you see him stopping to buy gifts, it's like, oh, shit, Asami's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he's getting gifts. Obviously, some Kyuchi guys spot him. And yeah, just in view of his house, he he pauses at the playground and he's looking up at the window and just a bunch of dudes come in and stab him to death. Uh, yeah, and then we get a shot of like the ruined cake that he bought on the ground. It's very sad. <laughs> Again, this is, a, this is a movie that really uh, boosts all of the emotionality of it. Yep. <laughs> so Goro next day, he reads the newspaper and he sees that... Uh, his his senpai has been murdered uh, just after leaving him. And it's interesting. This is a moment he goes out on the balcony to cry and he won't tell Yukiko what the deal is. Yeah. Hmm. This is where he has the hometowns to talk with her about her hometown. And he gets this really far away look. And it's <laughs> like, what's the specialty there? And I'm like, oh, wouldn't you like to go back there? I have to go for a walk. And she's like, oh, could I come? I'm like, no, you can't come. <laughs> if you come, I'll beat the shit out of you. Oh, no, you're doing that again. It's it's just like, no, you can't come along. I, I have important things to think about. Uh, <laughs> it's like, have dinner ready. I will definitely be returning alive. Fully alive. <laughs> Absolutely alive. I, I, I'm a little concerned about the fact that you felt the need to specify that. <laughs> so he goes and he sends a telegram to her parents. Come get Yukiko. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like asking about her parents. It's like, yeah, your family, their their address is this, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, sure. And he writes the letter. And then like, is he preparing for a suicide run? <laughs> Maybe. So we see the Kyuchi mobile out driving. It goes over a bunch of fucking boards with nails in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a clown car. It's a whole bunch of Yakuza on a little sedan. Goes over the nails and it's just on a freeway off ramp. And they turn and there's Goro just standing there. <laughs> Such a cool, cool shot too. It's great. I, I love Q just showing his colors immediately he throws the second in command guy at him and runs <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i think it gets to the point where like by the end of the fight the second in command is also fighting q i think it, it's really hard to keep track of who's fighting it's, who there actually it's a chaotic fight they're all, everyone's still trying to fight goro it's just everybody is getting pretty like there's a lot of stabbing going on yeah before anyone dies, they get stabbed a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and like the, they're in like this canal. Uh, yeah. So, because so first they're on the freeway and then they sort of leap over some barrels and go down an, an embankment and they, they get to, I guess it's, it, it's something like the, the, uh, the LA River, you know, where you got just the, the concrete channel that it goes through. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, it's something like idea. that. Yeah. And yeah, they're like they're like falling in the water. This is a very slow and clumsy chaotic fight. Well, it goes through all these areas because they don't even get to the water right away because they go through a train yard first. There's oh, like right. a yeah. grassy train tracks area. 
there's a bunch of abandoned trains they fight in an abandoned train station for a bit they go through a train (laughs) it's because he stabs the second in command guy pretty good and then everybody falls down a slope into a river and that's where they kind of really have the rest of the battle because they go through a tunnel like an uh like a sewer (laughs) tunnel or something yeah (laughs) this is where goro gets really badly stabbed like during the hard to see fight in the darkness of the tunnel he gets pretty badly stabbed Mm -hmm. and it's like it's but he's down to just the two guys uh the second in command and q and then it's just the one guy q (laughs) very quickly (laughs) like i i wrote like i in my notes i have he's down to two and then i cross a one guy (laughs) how quickly it happened yeah i I don't even remember how it happens he just stabs them they're they're, everybody's just stabbing away because they're in like they're they're up to their hips in water too (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so it's very chaotic and this is where we get the volleyball is starting to uh, be montaged in because it's above them. Somehow they're like way down in a in a, a sewer that is somewhere below. It's it's not totally clear. We don't get an establishing shot that shows them together. It reminds me of uh, the wealthy people and the poor people in Parasite. Yeah, yeah, because it's so high up. Yeah, it, it's absurdly and of course it's where these people are playing volleyball and a sewer where they're doing it yeah. <laughs> they're fighting and and it's here that i was like man i'm so expecting a volleyball to hit somebody in the head and i know they're it, not doing it because it's not that kind of movie but i want it i totally felt like something should, like they should hit a volleyball and it should go off the court and everybody should like come over and look and see all this carnage and yeah. i was totally expecting that to happen at some point and it never does no, no. Um... But he keeps brawling, and he ultimately kills Kyuchi. Obviously, he gets him, but he's bleeding. He's been stabbed a few times. He's in bad shape, and somehow he gets all the way up to the <laughs> volleyball court. We don't show his journey; we just show him walking onto the court. Yeah, and there, as like the girls slowly, one by one, start noticing him and stop playing and just backing away as he. Uh collapses apparently bleeds out yeah he just collapses he's laying on the ground bloody and just everyone's backing away (laughs) like no one is moving to help him they are continually moving away and the end just comes up i'm like okay uh did he die this time i mean he didn't die last time i know there's four more of these (laughs) i'm guessing he didn't because he had to write the book yeah, he must not have, uh, unless the book is fictionalized. And oh, I don't know. maybe, maybe. Uh, but yeah, that is the end. Uh, again, it, it's it's pretty wild. It, it is very similarly patterned to the first one. I think the first one is visually a little more satisfying. My recollection of just the the visual style of the first one is a little stronger. A lot of neon, a lot of blue. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of blue in this one. And the first one's very snowy. Uh, like, it's using the snowy streets. It feels more like sets. I really like the snowy section in this one, but the stuff in mm-hmm. Yokohama is kind of generic Yakuza stuff at times. The volleyball thing was a good addition, though. I cool. like the volleyball bit and, like, that mm-hmm. whole weird thing where they're, like, up way high above the sewer. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and, like, it was this whole thing about 
I guess how you don't think about what's going on in the seamy underground when you're up on top having fun, I guess. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was a really interesting way to do the final fight. And I, I think it's one of the more compelling choices in the movie because a lot of it's like we've seen a few Yakuza movies and this is sure. hitting a lot of the same points. Uh, it's it, it hits them pretty well. I, I really like Goro as a character. Mm-hmm. I uh, do, too. He's interesting because he's so down to earth about all of his decisions, even though he's a very emotional guy. The way he treats other people is like, even though he he will threaten them a lot of the time, he is very humane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's just threatening them for their own protection. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, like uh, he he has no excessive pride about the business. He he really recognizes his place, and he just is not. He he, he doesn't want to mess with anyone over it he, he just doesn't feel that it matters <laughs> like he's like i know this is a whole clan thing and there's rivalries but it's just a job and if we all just would be more civil about it it would be an easier job <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, you know if if uh wakabayashi had killed the guy and gone to jail he might still be alive that's true the other guy wouldn't though the other guy definitely wouldn't. Uh, and <laughs> um, then, and then, like, what what happens with? Because uh, that that guy saves. Uh, oh shit, Goro yeah. later. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, hmm. It's tough. I mean, it's it's a complicated world. I mean, I'm I'm not saying he should have killed the guy. I'm just saying you're kind of screwed if you get into the game at all. Yeah, I, and I, I feel like that's sort of the sub theme of these movies <laughs> mm-hmm. in general. So, uh, as this is a box set, as usual, we decide between uh, whether we're going to watch the next one of these or like add the next one of these to the stack or something else. So the next one in the set is uh, Outlaw Gangster Heartless, I want to say. Is that right? Uh, oh, I, I don't know. I don't have it nearby. Here, hold up. I'll, I'll pull it up again. Uh, Outlaw Gangster VIP series. Uh, the third one is Heartless. Okay. Uh, so it is, uh, he becomes indebted to Mitsugi Moto, uh, and there is a low rank Yakuza with a gambling problem who owes Mitsugi Moto a ton of money. Uh-oh. So Goro is, is sent going. to collect that money. Uh-oh. <laughs> He, so, I bet he's going to have to make a hard choice about how he collects it. I suspect so. Uh, Kiko is back in this one. Oh, okay. It doesn't look like Yukiko is. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That's, that's the opposite <laughs> of who I was expecting to come back. I thought it would be the other way around, but all right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just that uh, Kiko's a more famous actress. It's Chieko Matsubara, who's in lots and lots of stuff. Oh, no, what the heck? She is, it is Yukiko, but now she's playing Keiko. <laughs> I don't understand. What? It's the same okay, actress. Um, I guess we'll figure it out when we get there. So yeah, it's uh, so we, either that one or a uh, challenger is smile before death this is the first in uh, one of arrow's giallo essentials boxes 
So it's a giallo, of course. Uh, so it is this teenager at boarding school. She's been away at boarding school for some time. She comes home uh, and she's been estranged from her mother, but she comes home to realize that her mother has just died of suicide. And she suspects that her stepfather murdered her and faked as a suicide because uh, he needs money. Like he's right. super in debt and uh, there's he he's cheating on her. He has this mistress. And like the mom's really wealthy, obviously. Of course, yeah. Uh, but obviously, things are not quite what they seem. <laughs> they rarely are in a giallo. If they were, I think it's not a giallo. Uh, so uh, from the back uh, of the the arrow disc, familicide with a sprinkling of Oedipal love is the order of the day. Prime what? example of the giallo at its most depraved. Hmm. Uh, an infectious Lolita-esque title theme. I guess referring to the the title music from the Kubrick yeah. Lolita. Oh, okay, oh, which that is a big sounds interesting. Um, but you know, I yeah, that does sound interesting. But I I do kind of want to <laughs> I do kind of want to watch another one of these before two years passes. That is fair. <laughs> I mean, it may not so, be that long again, but either way. Well, no, I don't think it will. But, but, but let's let's uh, leave our let's leave Goro on the top for now. All right, so we'll put in Heartless. So, do you have any last thoughts on Outlaw Gangster VIP Two before we head on to our part two? I can't bear to know Shanna's last thoughts. <laughs> you know Shanna's last thoughts. Wait, I mean, I do, but. <laughs> You can't bear to hear them, but it doesn't work if I tell you that you can't bear it. <laughs> you came at it from the wrong angle. <laughs> I did. This was not right. I can't bear to know your last thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's head on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about a couple of movies uh, from the 80s, starting with 1985's La Casa Que Arde de Noche, or The House That Burns at Night. Uh, it's a Rene Cardona Jr. film from the uh, Vinegar Syndrome Cardona Collection, Volume 2, final film in the set. Yep, we already covered uh, Hostages slash Panic Makers slash Under Siege slash and Treasure of the Amazon. Right, we did Treasure of the Amazon from Volume 1 as well. Right, right. Uh, I, I really like both of these sets. Uh, just uh, generally, they're, I, I think they were not super popular when they came out, especially the first one was uh, not well liked, but I had a pretty good time with it. It took me a while to get to it. Just hmm. like it, it's, I, I had it sitting around for like six months before I touched it, but... <laughs> You know, after watching that one, uh, I really liked it. And, you know, we've watched all of these ones pretty quick after it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've been having fun with them. I, do uh, think... I haven't watched as many as you, but. Yeah, I think overall I like the second set more. Uh, the weakest would be SOS Conspiracion Bikini, which was fine. It just, it was incoherent. <laughs> 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 I, I couldn't tell you what happened in it. But uh, this one and uh, Panic Makers are both fantastic. I really enjoyed Beaks, which is just birds, but in the 80s and by Cardona. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, this one, um, this one is great. I, I can't, I have a hard time believing that this and Panic Makers was the same director who did Treasure of the Amazon, actually. I don't know, they feel me, so different. They are very different styles. They're definitely all very different types of movies. I, I feel just, it, it's something I was talking about last week for Cardona. What I feel works with him is he is sort of the purest of exploitation directors. And all of his films are just, they're an exploitation of a premise. So the premise is really key and it's just we're looking into the full exploitability of what's within that premise and this one is just the most exploitable premise <laughs> the favorite in a brothel yeah and and more than that because like there, there's it's it's so many things it's just there's a lot going on i i, I would say the the plot is there is a brothel <laughs> you know and then it's just there are characters within it and here's all the stuff they do. And these are all the adventures they go on in much the same way that treasure of the Amazon is, well, there is the Amazon and there's a treasure in it. And like, let's see a whole bunch of people involved in treasures in the Amazon without any <laughs> one plot that we're following or any one thing that's guiding us. And I feel like that's the thread that runs through the Cardona pictures. Well, we do have, we have two main characters in this one, at least, who we are do. following it. And their stories are very intertwined with each other most True. of the time. It's just that there isn't a plot. It's just we have mm. two characters and we have a location. And then it's just <laughs> all the stuff that happens, all, all, all the adventures they go on. Like, this could have been a TV series. True. You know what? I was just thinking that. It's like, in this episode, <laughs> they're friends. In this episode, they're trying to kill each other like uh, Looney Tunes characters. Yeah, you you could do like an HBO prestige series based on this. You could like, oh my god, Game of Thrones it up. Who would you get to cast as the two mains <laughs> or the oh, two that'd, leads? That'd be tough. I uh, guess. I mean, it, it's. Uh, hmm. I mean, hmm. I, I actually I don't know enough. I don't know any Mexican actors, so I, I can't, I don't have my own example. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, in I, I was thinking if we're doing like the, the HBO version, get like, I, I want to say like a Julianne Moore for uh, oh. La Lasana. Or is it Celia? Uh, is Celia the main lady? No, uh, La Lasana. La Lasana. Celia's the older lady. Uh, Esper. Oh, fuck. What is it? Oh, Esperia is the older lady. Esperia, right, right. And Elazar is the the, the Elazar guy. yeah, yeah. Uh, played by Salvador Panetta he is really fun uh, for that guy I want to say Tom Hardy hmm. hmm okay I was thinking like maybe an Antonio Banderas Antonio Banderas could do it uh, I've definitely but... seen Antonio Banderas have some really dark roles in uh, some actual Mexican movies like he he usually plays romantic heartthrob in american films but he'll go really weird and dark in <laughs> spanish language stuff yeah this this looks like eliazar seems like he's the romantic heartthrob but no he's he, this is another one of those movies where everybody's kind of a jerk yeah they, they're all very real but they're all kind of bad people yeah <laughs> like they, they're they contain multitudes they they have their good moments and they have their bad moments and lalasana is mysterious <laughs> i don't yeah. get her but she's fascinating yeah uh we open with her well we actually open with burlesque 
and we transition every single scene with burlesque there's so much (laughs) it's uh, great i started counting but then i realized this no it's literally every single scene transition it's completely just how you move from place to place in keeping with my thing (laughs) of just the exploitability it's like well what did we come here to see we came here to see naked <laughs> ladies dancing that's what the house is about that's the castle that, so yeah. <laughs> we're, we're gonna see it every like th- that's how you transition that's how you go to the next thing <laughs> yep it is a classy uh fuck it is super classy it depends on when <laughs> so, wait, when uh eliazar is the person who's completely in charge it loses class Oh, it sucks when he's in charge. He, I was cheering for him for a while until I saw until he actually gets what he wants, and it's like, wow, dude, you are not suited for the job you're trying to get. It is fascinating because, like, he is the down to earth guy, and it seems like he has the right sort of intentions, and he does more or less respect the people he works with. It's just he doesn't know how to do the work. <laughs> he doesn't have any sort of flair for the business. He's sort of like, he is a boy toy. He's a bodyguard who yep. rose above his position because uh, Asperia loved him so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. Like he acts like he's a bodyguard. Like like he does bodyguard work, but he acts he's a bouncer. like he's the boss. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he is a bouncer who becomes the boss uh, because, uh, he, he he's in love with the man or he is he is totally in love with her I, and i i will say that like he is not exploiting Esperia. he truly is there for her he is ride or die for her yeah yeah whereas uh lalazana is very much uh, <laughs> her just... loyalties i don't know yeah. <laughs> yeah. hard to say well yeah so we started actually a different burlesque place where lalazana right. is dancing do you think and... this is in Mexico or is this in the U.S.? Because they go um, across the border quite a bit in this. I don't know. That uh, That's key. I, I think a really important point is that they're very close to the border and it fuels a lot of uh, the motion. so movement. close to the border. Mm-hmm. Oh, like. Because <laughs> they're dealing close, with maybe. American cops. Yes. is a problem that they have to have. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I could see this being on the American side, actually. And that's why she goes to Asperia's place. Yeah, I Uh, feel like she kind of retreats across the border and and takes refuge there. Because the first thing that happens here after the burlesque is uh, her pimp is like, hey, I'm not going to give you this money that you earned today because you owe me three grand. And she's like, well, I need the money, though, and I worked for it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but you owe me money. And so she takes the scissors and fucking cuts his dick off. And just cuts his dick off. And as you have personally experienced, and as happened to me, you were watching the movie and like, oh my god, this movie starts so hard with guys' dick getting cut off with scissors, and like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> and then when I watched the second movie, or when I watched it the second time to take my notes and everything, it's like, oh fuck, scissor dick! Yeah. I forgot that happened. Because this movie, it throws a lot at you. <laughs> yeah. And- and like the scissor dick thing doesn't really fit the tone of the rest of the film. It's not it's true. a super violent, bloody movie. No. There's violence, but there isn't gore. It's more just about smoldering sexuality. It is yeah. a sex movie more than a violence movie. It's just 
you know, it's a Renee Cardone picture, you know, Cardone <laughs> Jr. picture. You got to have some violence in there. This is for exploitation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you throw <laughs> like, it in. The way, like, the blood spurts out, like, he just, like, like, the accidental, like, last dribble when you're peeing. Yeah, it, it is gross. <laughs> it's intentional. It's perfect. It's gross. It's and it's like just like the right amount it's not too much but it's uh, <laughs> so like she it it is she ends up getting she steals this morphine or heroin and i'm not sure which it is does she get it from the pimp or does she get it from an ambulance she gets it from the ambulance she gets actually it from the ambulance right now yeah. is it because the ambulance comes to pick up the pimp uh no it's because she's fucking the one paramedic in the back of the ambulance while it's driving and then they literally tag team like they do the, the right. high five thing and then the other guy fucks her in the back of the ambulance and he's the one who gives her the morphine right so and, and she's, i guess I that's guess she's, where she gets it she's paid for or she's paid with it basically so yeah it must be morphine then that she's uh injecting her with because she it, gets it from the ambulance but i was yeah. wondering the transition for, to the ambulance because she's cut off this guy's dick and then she's just fucking in an ambulance and like was there a transition there like i wonder if I they called know. the ambulance for the pimp and then they just dumped him and was like hey boys why don't we do something else well, <laughs> that first... seems like something she would do it does and, and in this movie it seems like something that would work mm-hmm. <laughs> because because there's there's two things about the main characters in this movie is that they are both supernaturally hot enough to get what they want. Yeah, they are completely sexual beings. Yeah. Uh, um, all of their, like, it, it is like James Bond, uh, the the porno version of the French porno guy. It, it is like all of their missions involve sex and sex is how they solve all of their problems. And it usually yep. works out because that's the universe they live in. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the only time they run into, the only time they run into any kind of trouble is when they come up against someone else with similar sex makes life easy powers. Or Americans. Americans are a big mm. problem in this movie. I I do find this interesting because this is probably the first time this movie's ever been released in English or with English subtitles. Probably, um, it's very uh, it, like it, it it talks about America always as uh over there and stuff like it never actually the other side the other side and i kind of feel like it's a metaphor for death well yeah i I haven't really figured it out yet whenever they refer to it like the the other side it's usually negative like they're they're saying it in a derogatory way almost most times like they're not like it's not praiseful it's like oh you want to get to the other side and it's like man those fuckers over on the other side or when these goddamn american cops come down here and try to mess with our business and that stuff yeah yeah or like or like you need to get out of here you should go to the other side yeah i mean it it is i mean this is most likely the first english release of it because there is less than a hundred ratings of it on imdb (laughs) wow it probably just is is not widely seen but oh it rules (laughs) (laughs) it really does so 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 far we've had uh we've had scissor dick we've had tag teaming in the back of an ambulance we are on minute five of this film yeah it goes so crazy hard <laughs> uh, she gets to the brothel the uh 
La Casa. I don't know what it's called in the movie. Yeah, I don't know if or it ever if it has, has a name. name. I, I feel like they, they, I think it is Asperia's at some point, but I don't be. know if it keeps that name. Because I think they well, refer to it as the being number of times it changes place. hands. Yeah, it keeps changing management in this movie. <laughs> like every scene, somebody else is in charge. But it's like in the background, we come back yeah. to it, and uh, like someone has left, and they come back, and like, oh, it's under new management again. Yeah, and it's very different each time, which is kind of cool. Like we see mm-hmm. the the fortunes of the place change depending on who's running it, and like. Lalasana may not be the best person, but she is definitely the best boss. She knows how to make this place run, and everybody's really happy working with her, except yeah. the lady who, like, except the lady who's been cut out, Asperia. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we get to our place, and uh, Lalasana introduces herself to Eleazar uh, when she realizes that he's the boss by just. Uh, grabbing her ankles just grabbing her ankles is like it's like want to see how flexible i am yeah (laughs) she she bends all the way down like check this out and she wraps her hands around her ankles and she is like completely bent between her legs and (laughs) you can see it on imgv it's like the second photo right there. she does it twice yeah she she's really showing off that she can do that he's like okay that's pretty impressive uh we don't have a room for a girl but i can probably talk my lady into letting you stay he's not super interested in her. It's no. just another lady. He's still super ride or die for Asperia. Mm-hmm. Who is about to come down the stairs in her ridiculous, gorgeous, like maroon house coat. She is hungover. She's uh, an aging beauty. You know, she is someone yeah. who was a great burlesque star like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now she is ride or die for Eleazar. Yes. Like so much. Like he's like, her boy toy. Yes. Like, full very stop. Much. <laughs> mm-hmm. He thinks he's the boss, but no, he's the boy toy. Yeah. And I think and he kind of knows it and is pretty okay he, with it and, and to a certain extent. He likes being the boy toy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he hates being the boss later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sucks. He hates yelling at people. It's just. It's the only way he knows how to manage. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And she's like openly and like groping him and stuff. Well, it's his job. It's why he's there. <laughs> and Lalazana is like about to approach. And Eliezer is like, no, no, mm. let her do yeah. this part first. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me butter her up. And he, she is able to convince her because she like, at first she's really against having another lady there. She she's protective of her Eliazar. Yeah, but Eliazar's like, well, hey, let her just stay here for a night, and then she can go home with some American or something, and that'll be the end of it. And Asperia's like, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, perfect, cool. fine, that that'll work great, whatever, because you know she wants to go get it on with Eliazar upstairs, and she's yeah. getting tired of this nonsense. It's like yeah. you go find a room something will work out and wherever he, yeah and he lets lalasana know it's like we'll work it out you, you'll probably be able to stay we'll figure it out so whatever yep <laughs> he's so better we... working in middle management this is where he's yeah. best he's a go-between where he makes things happen for people but he doesn't have to be the boss yeah yeah but he still wants to though 
He thinks he wants to. <laughs> or Well, yes, yes. He thinks that this is what he wants. Uh, I remember thinking I wanted to be the boss. Yeah, I've never. <laughs> I, uh, like. I was at a pizza hut and then I became the boss and it sucked. And I was like, what the fuck did I do with my life? I worked at McDonald's to pay through pay for uh, uh school and stuff and I, when I, when I was going to university and uh I ref- consistently refused to become a manager like, <laughs> I just didn't want like I I didn't want that extra responsibility at a McDonald's it's not no. what I want to do no, I, I, like, I, like, if if I take that extra responsibility I have to come in and it's like I school comes first uh, screw you I don't I don't care yeah. I'll, I'll work in yeah. the kitchen thanks yeah no if you're a manager and there's some shit goes down at the at the McDonald's, that becomes your problem. Yeah, I, I don't want it to be. So yeah, becoming the boss is uh, not that desirable. Uh, <laughs> it takes him a long time to learn it, and he has to go through a lot of stuff to get there. Like even becoming yeah. the boss is a big journey because again, there's no specific goal that anyone has in this film. People are just <laughs> living their lives. It is yeah. a slice of life movie in a weird sort of way. <laughs> it kind of is. As much as an exploitation movie can be. So we find out that uh, Esperia has screaming dying disease. Yeah, I feel like it's the same thing as um, Yumeko. They they probably both have something like consumption. Or no, I think later on, Lalasana says that it's cancer, like some advanced stage of cancer. I feel like it gets referred to maybe, but either but do way. Do we believe Lalazana? La I don't know. I mean, it's it seems true enough. Like she's yeah, clearly so, this mean, lady is who is dying. Her. She's she's dying of something, and uh Lalazana is quick to recognize that it is not resolvable. He's like, Well, she's dying is the problem. I mean, I can make her feel better. <laughs> yeah. Well, the- the, what she tells Eleazar is like, yo, I can cure this. I know what she's got. I've got this under control. And then when Eleazar is like, okay, well, I'll leave it in your hands. She's like, I actually can't help, but this will just make you feel great. Yeah. She's, she gives her some morphine. It's like, well, we yeah. know that that's what she's doing, that, that, that she's not curing anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they, and they start bonding. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a big problem for Eleazar, but he doesn't realize it yet. And the other thing is there's this cop that's been hanging around <laughs> this fucking cop so yeah he's like i want four girls and i want to choose which ones <laughs> and, he, and everybody's like this guy's a cop why is he wasting our time and he comes to salvador and he's doing his whole big production at the bar and making himself look like he's supposed to be a high roller gambler type guy even though everybody is fucking aware that he's a cop like he's fooling absolutely no one well he fools eliazar because eliazar didn't find out he was a cop until after he shot him it's weird though it's like everybody is saying that he is and he's pretty sure that he is i think it's just it confirms it finally and i think he was maybe worried that he was a local cop initially as a local cop it's like i can deal with this but it becoming an american cop it's a bigger problem well i think shooting him was just a big mistake in the first place well yeah again i don't think eliazar has a lot of planning (laughs) capability he just has poor impulse control so yeah because what happens is like the he's just a cheapskate and that's all that's all the girls are mad at him about 
Well, it's not that it's not all that because it's also that he's not having sex. He just wants oh. to ask them questions. He's interrogating them. He keeps taking okay. them to the room and asking them a bunch of questions, and they keep coming back to Eleazar and is like, this dude's just asking us a bunch of questions. I don't know what his deal is. Uh, could you? And he's also a cheapskate. Like it's both issues. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Eleazar is like, okay, I'll deal with it. Because not only are they not like he's wasting their time, so they're not getting business. And right. He's he's like grabbed seven of them. And yeah, yeah, it like, was way more than four. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was seven. And he's like physically grabbing them off the dance floor. And it's like, I want this one and this one. He's making a huge production of himself. And finally, Eleazar takes him to the back room. Like, man, what is up with you? <laughs> but but then he shoots him and very quickly. Him. Yeah, he very, shoots him. And like, then no conversation like, happens. There's very little. Yeah. And he, he opens the the coat and finds that he has uh an like, like a a, a, US. A, a u.s badge yeah. it's like ah this is a big problem and <laughs> lalasana and and um Asperia come in and they are just so bad at him <laughs> yeah like they, they're having this lovely time in the room bonding and then it's like what the fuck did you do you killed a cop what is your problem? And he's An like, American cop on Mexican soil. And he's like, I don't know. I figure I'll just do, I'll just, you know, dump the body. Like this isn't going to, and you don't know what you're dealing with. Lalasana has a perfect plan right away. She knows exactly what he's going to do. <laughs> so dump the body. So the way I wrote it down is she says, dump the body and cross the border. And then Eliazar is like, dump body at border crossing got it yeah he did not follow her instructions because she has a much more elaborate detail to his like take some back paths you know use these trails and go around and find your way to the water and put him there and like he is at the border he just dumps him just next dumps to the body like th- there is a bridge There's you a can bridge. see him from the window <laughs> of the american office like he just does the least possible work he he's <laughs> like this will work and then it's also it does though it does work well because he leaves town he he does cross the border he gets because that's also part of her thing she wants him out of here so this is sort of an extra uh point for this is like i can just like kick this guy out now and it's like you're you should probably go to america which i don't know this this does feel vindictive like yes go dump this american cop in the in the like on the water in the border and then you go cross the border in america and go hang out there (laughs) foolproof but it does work out for him he doesn't get caught (laughs) so hey what can i say i love when he comes back and she's like oh i bet you must have run into so much trouble in america he's like no actually none whatsoever he's like no i was just partying because like we see him uh pick up a lady right away on the other side and uh she stops to get something at a bar and he steals the vehicle and just drives off and her purse yeah he, yeah, he he gets a call or, or like a telegram or something saying to come back. Uh, Esperia misses him. So he, he's like, okay, well, I'll just I'll figure out a way to do it. So he steals this lady's car. Right. By the way, I think the cop is played by Rene Cardona Sr. Oh. I believe that's like, I know he plays a character who is just credited as uh, 
United States. So I don't know. <laughs> He's one of the couple American characters, and I think it's the cop. <laughs> he manages to, Eleazar, after stealing this car, manages to charisma his way through the border crossing. Because he's like, like old buds with this border guy. He talks to him every time. He's always giving him gifts. He he, he gives uh, him the camera. He's yeah, he gives the <laughs> tourist's camera to him. He's like, yeah, cool. All right, you go on ahead. Just don't ask questions about why this is not the same car I went into the U.S. with or why this car has been reported stolen. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to ask about any of that. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, I think he just has an existing friendship with this guy. It is, it's that just is kind of what I very feel. easy for him to cross the border back and forth. Uh, so the car breaks down, and I love this bit where he runs. He just into keeps like, trading. <laughs> yeah, he he runs into like this kid who's riding on a donkey, uh, and like the kid's just giving him this stare and. It zooms in on the kid's face, and then it zooms out, and he's in the driver's seat of the car. Yeah, and you you see Eleazar riding the donkey away. <laughs> and then I think he trades the donkey for something as well? Or No, he traded the car for a horse, and then the right. horse for a donkey. Car for horse, horse for donkey. Because he's going uphill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then he finally makes his way back to uh, the brothel, and things have changed, man. We, we yeah. get the the... I guess he's the bouncer, the old bouncer guy. I love this guy. The old man. Oh, man, this guy's great. <laughs> he, he's old buds with Eleazar because everybody kind of is. Yeah, I mean, they've worked together. He, he's yeah. been the other dude who works there. And uh, Eleazar has brought him a T-shirt as a gift. <laughs> uh protest and survive it says it's, in big black letters it's cool it, like i guess he went up to la and it's like a, an early hardcore t-shirt because <laughs> uh protest and survive is a song by discharge oh okay uh major early hardcore band <laughs> <laughs> i just love i just love uh the old man's reaction he reads it he's like i will not protest but i will wear the shirt and keep quiet yeah, and then every time you see him for the rest of the movie, he's got this T-shirt on. He like immediately puts it on. He's just walking around, and he's not happy just, with the current state of the management. But things are going great. Things are going great. So um, Alizana owns the place while uh, Eleazar has been out. He's been in America for like months, apparently. I don't know. No, it could have even be years. <laughs> well, they say I mean, I months, guess it, but they don't specify. It's been at least two. Yeah, I feel like it's been a while because they totally remodeled the place. It it's doing way better. <laughs> like some the business the is booming. Only some of the people know who Eleazar is. She must have brought in like a bunch of new people. It sounds like she has basic. Like there's been complete turnover. Most of the people who were there obviously were just kind of letting like we're we're sliding by under the old management, and she's just. Mm refurbished the place she's made it uh the, the lavish place it once was again yeah but she's in charge and uh Asperia hates it now oh she's yeah so it's... mad about it <laughs> yeah she she's basically like okay well i'll save your brothel but you won't have anything to do with it yeah it's like you're a figurehead you you live here and i i mean I guess she's still making money off the place. What does she want exactly? I don't. I <laughs> no, don't no, know no. what anybody wants. 
I, I don't really get what Asperia is is going for. She just is well, she, mad. I think just partly wants... she wanted Eleazar back. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, a big part of it. <laughs> well, fortunately, she's going to get part of what she wants because he's going to do his thing where he just shows up at the door, and he does this a lot. It's like where something will happen and he should be dead, but he just shows up. Yeah, he's there. And so they get it on. She's really happy to see him. Yeah. Uh, and she is trying to weaponize him against Lalasana, get him on her side. And it seems like it's going to be a, a the favorite or showgirls. Yeah. But... Yeah, she's like, crush her, kill her before she kills you. She's venomous <laughs> like a snake. Yeah, which maybe. I mean, well... she does turn out to be pretty dangerous in the end, but. They Every have... time she's doing something scheming, it does like this rattlesnakey sound. Uh, I watched cool. another movie that did this this week, which is weird. Oh. Like the the exact same thing. Hmm. Like it was a, it was like a rattlesnake sound every time this one lady did something. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. So th- he at first tries to go after Lalasana and take over, but. <laughs> there's well, that weird chase scene oh yeah <laughs> that that's a little bit later <laughs> <Okay>. still first <laughs> first they have a talk it's like well what do you want i want to be the boss what do you want oh well i want to be the boss and it looks like they're going to be like partners trying to be the boss together and lalazana brings him breakfast in bed but it's a surprise venomous snake Oh yeah, and it bites him. <laughs> yep, and, and that's when she dumps him in the desert. Right, right. <laughs> but he's too sexy for snake venom to take hold, so he just walks back. Yeah, like there's this time of him just in the desert, and he's writhing on the ground, and she's dumped him there, but it doesn't kill him, and he just comes back. He just gets up. Yeah, and she th- then it turns into the chase, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. He shows up like in her at the door of her dressing room, and she's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so that yeah, they get into a fight, um, and he basically like takes her into the back of the pickup truck and leaves her in the desert, and, and like, and she's wearing like this like skimpy lingerie outfit in the middle of the desert, but his truck gets stuck. So like in the sand, right? They're on the beach. <laughs> Like she goes, they go to sort of a beachy spot and he dumps her, but immediately the truck gets stuck and won't go. So, yeah. So he gets out to like look around and then she gets out of the back of the truck and tries to drive away, but it's still stuck. And they just, they keep <laughs> fighting and the, oh, it it's one of these things where the fighting turns to kissing and they, they like roll down the beach and then yeah. they, they become a couple because they see the same kind of weird spark in each other, I feel. Yeah, and now they're a couple for the next few scenes. Yeah, and I mean, they sort of are a couple throughout the movie. It's just they have this fire in them. You know, they, they, there is this, uh, like, they're like the Lockhorns. <laughs> it's like, um, well, it's like, oh, God, I don't want to reference Homestuck because I might have to explain it. But like, <laughs> the hate fucking like the specific type of hate fucking relationship that they have in Homestuck. That's what this feels like. Right. So the, uh, I can't remember exactly how that know, works out either. for it and it's, it's yeah needlessly complicated on purpose, but, but yeah, it, it is, is that basically sort of, that. 
it is well yeah they have this very weird antagonistic relationship but they it, it, obviously Asperia now is really put out that they're a couple oh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean she's still in love with elazar they never officially broke up or anything like... although i feel like elazar is probably still sleeping with her anyways because yeah. he's pretty ride or die for her either way it does seem probably yeah, and she keeps warning him about her, and he's like, yeah, I know, but... Yeah. It, uh, well, it's like, I know, but me too. <laughs> We're both <laughs> extremely dangerous, combustible people. Uh, there's a bit where, like, Lelazana is demanding to know his birthday, and he's like, I don't actually know, man. Right, I literally she's... don't know. Because she's like got all the she wants to do his astrology charts and it is like <laughs> oh it's a huge deal for her. Well, yeah, it, it is clearly a witch thing, and uh, she's deciding if he's going to be the perfect man or if she's going to kill him. I think ultimately it is a thing where he is the perfect man and she's going to kill him. <laughs> but. <laughs> It, it is a very strange thing where she's trying to find out the exact time of his his birth, uh, like not yeah, just she... the date, but like the specific time of day and everything. Which I don't know. Alarm bells ringing anytime you get a, a lady who wants that much detail. There, there's this movie called The Astrologer that I watched from the seventies. I think it's maybe a video nasty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it's it's about like an astrology based messiah, like if a Jesus of astrology, <laughs> the Antichrist. Oh, uh, gotcha. And they it's this whole elaborate thing of them trying to determine the exact time of Jesus's real birth for oh. astrology charts and it's this <laughs> third thing. That's what I was thinking of when as soon as she mentioned that, it just felt really sinister. And the movie makes it sinister. Like it, it is suggested that her asking this and her getting this information is almost like her trying to do some form of black magic <laughs> well yeah we we see her uh later on in her bedroom like protractors and shit figuring she's doing out the charts. astrological charts yeah she's... <laughs> and then she, she's like i got you now you motherfucker like she figured something out well, yeah, she's she has done his charts, so she has got him astrologically, which whatever. But sure, <laughs> it's the that she like, ultimately. I don't know what it is that she wants because she gets him and she does love him, and she they are this couple. But also, she kills him and herself. Like, yeah, spoilers ish, but it's where everything's heading. <laughs> Well, so, so she sends uh, Binny, a cross-dressing sex worker, into Eliasar's room. Right. And he is so angry about that. He <laughs> is furious. Yeah, he does not take it well. He's yeah. not mad at Binny. He's just mad at Lalasana. Yeah, he, he throws Binny out and drags Lalasana in. Is like, I don't like these jokes like this. And then they ate fuck. Yeah, they, they get it on angrily. Yeah. Um she she does this thing where like she tells her entire life story while she's fucking and he's like, Oh my god, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I can't, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't when you're talking. 
yeah i i do love that just him <laughs> shut up stop talking <laughs> and like for the next bit like they're doing this montage where they just go on all these dates and they're like looking at houses to buy it's like i like that one do you like that one they shut start, up they start thinking about moving to america they're gonna like establish themselves across the border and have kids and he's like it, it's all her stuff she's interested yes. in becoming upwardly mobile and the more she starts talking about it the more it's like I just want to stay living in the dirt. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to do it's any like, of that stuff. Why Why do you want to stay here? It's like, me, I just like the smell of ass. Right. It's the oh, only man. thing I know. The smell of ass <laughs> speech is so good. <laughs> this, Yeah, I, well, I took, yeah, I started working here because I like the smell of ass. And it's all I know. It's all that matters I, to me. I know no other. <laughs> yeah incredible like the the perfect speech to have in this film uh is the big climactic speech and she finally is like well fine and she moves to america and leaves him behind and he gets to take over as the boss i think he and he fucks it up yeah he sucks he's a bad boss it's it's totally a well you got time to lean you got time to clean like they're strippers what are they supposed to do he wants them to literally start cleaning the place like get some yeah. fucking janitors you dick <laughs> he, he's got them like doing wrestling in the middle and yeah it, it's, nobody's and really into it you can see that the the glamour has died down it's uh, not as well lit it looks smoky it looks kind of ugly the the fortunes of the brothel have clearly declined under his leadership yeah and the madam, uh, who is still alive, she's still around. She's still just fucking <laughs> plugging away. Is like giving Eliezer shit. Is like you want to see her, don't you? And he's like, I do. And it's like she jinxed you, just like I said she would. He's like, I, I know, know. <laughs> but I still want to though. And she's like, you fucking suck. And then she finally dies. She finally dies. They, they have a big funeral for her. Funeral is lit with penis candles. Oh, I love Well, because we've been seeing the penis candles the whole movie. Every time anyone's needed to light a candle. At the, at the very beginning, there's one really huge penis candle. Oh, yeah. That they, like, that uh, La Lazana and Asperia are both, like, on either side of it. And that she blows out the candle. of the Right. And they're giggling about it. and much later we see this same candle and it's like burned down to the point that the head of the dick is gone <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so, so yeah there's like it's not all penis candles though it's like mostly regular mostly, candles yeah. but with penis candles in with them just a bunch of them because it's yeah it's a brothel they got a bunch of penis <laughs> candles about and uh yeah she's got like the super elaborate deathbed uh, they have like this fancy funeral for her, and La Lazana shows up to the funeral. Of course, and obviously sparks fly again between her and Eleazar. Yeah, and like she's talking, she's they're talking, and they're thinking. Well, they both they both meet up in the brothel, and they just inject each other with whatever drug they've been—morphine, heroin, whatever it is. Yeah, cool. Because he's depressed. He's lost his love, or you know, yeah. the, the he really was into Asperia. Like she mattered mm -hmm. a great deal to him. So it is a very severe blow. So he's like, 
all right. I mean, I guess it's you and me now. Uh, you're you're all I have left. And they decide to just go all out and they both do morphine and they both start fucking and he passes out and she (laughs) decides to burn the place down so uh, uh, the whole last 10 minutes is just spinning and they're just like like both figuratively and literally spiraling into death yeah we have the camera spinning uh, around yeah yeah and she's like man i just realized like all the power she had and they just buried her and they're going to do that with me too. What was it all for? And he's like, man, I had all this sex and what was it all for? <laughs> yeah. And they, they, they have both kind of reached the end of their rope. They're like, she's got him they, now and she knows that if it continues, it's just going to blow up again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like in terms of the speech, I feel like her deciding to burn the place down is her making a decision to decide her own death and decide her own legacy and take him with her, (laughs) take everything with her. She, she burns the place, like everybody is sleeping and she goes through the house and is just lighting the curtains. Wearing the Asperia wig and robe. And right. like old lady makeup, she's, so he she's done herself up to look like it. her, which is weird. She she's yeah. trying to play like the avenging spirit of Asperia or something. Something, but yeah. So she she burns it down, and Eleazar presumably dies. Although I think both I of choosed, them do. Yeah. I think Eleazar and Lalisana both die in it. Like I think she goes back to bed with him to burn. Oh, maybe. Um, I I choose to believe that Eleazar is actually too hot so hot that his presence makes the flames colder (laughs) so he survives that way and she just survives anyway but no this is the end of the movie uh we the credits are just on the house like playing over the house burning down yeah just huge flames uh the whole place burns. really nobody survives like i think some of the prostitutes get out the sex workers and the strippers i think like there's screaming and everybody is is running but i do think lalasana and elias are are specifically intentionally dead in there like he's not intentionally but uh he's he is like stuck in there fucking high and stuck yeah he's on a bunch of morphine he's been spinning for hours uh so i I love that like when that it's not just the camera spinning when the camera stops like they have the table and the bed on a platform spinning Mm -hmm. and all the candles are spinning in place it's It's kind of cool really cool i just uh, very elaborate uh style choice at the end that kind of comes out of nowhere because you haven't really had anything like this before hey remember the dick scissors i forgot about it already yeah (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It, it's there. There's so much other shit that happens. Uh, it, it's it's incredible. It is easily my favorite of the Cardona's so far because it just has so much weird exploitation energy. There is so much going on and so much plot, and yet somehow, about a quarter of the runtime is still burlesque shows. Right. There's a ton of it. It is every scene transition, but it works because it, it works. they're not. We're not spending a lot of time looking at it. It's just, it is every transition. So we just get yeah. it in between things. It, like the burlesque is the establishing shot. It's like, oh, we're yeah. in the burlesque house now. Yeah. Which is great. It's a good way to do it. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's fun that as well. Like we kind of didn't touch on. There's Benny. He has a whole thing where he has his dance crew, and there's a whole oh yeah uh, trends or uh, uh, cross dressing thing where they have all these stuff, which clearly is from Lalasana's time there, where she opens things up. Yeah, well, the the cross dressers were there before. They were there, uh, but Elizar Elizar didn't. I don't think he liked them. Yeah, he clearly does not have any interest in them. So it it seems like they become much more prominent and they have they like we get to see one of their whole lavish dance sequences later on. Oh yeah, yeah. And Benny like even has this brief relationship with Lalazana for two oh, minutes. Yeah, when when Eliazar is away. Yeah, or or no, it's when she moves out towards the end. Right. Uh Benny's the one who tells her about how the madam dies. Right. He's the one who comes to t- who, who gives the information. Yeah. Yeah. When she's living in America for a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This is just a crazy movie of just stuff happens in a brothel. So Nobody really knows what they want, but they keep trying to get it anyway. But it rules. It's so good. It's awesome. So what also rules? We're also talking about another 80s movie from the following year, 1986, a Czechoslovakian film uh, by director Yuri Barta, uh, Kreisar, or The Pied Piper. I think literally uh, translated, it's The Rat Catcher. Oh, okay. But obviously based on The Pied Piper of Hamelin, very classic folktale, yeah. uh, German folktale. And uh, it's it's all stop motion animated. All the people are these like cool wooden dolls, all carved a little bit different. Worn, uh, very worn wood, like dark kind of old wood. Uh, uh, same with the 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 metal is is like worn out old iron. Uh, like I said, very clock like. Uh, we start with a mechanism starting. The up. town might be a clock. That's it my is impression. Very complicated because it, it, the town isn't the same shape in every shot. Right. It, it's uh, we're we're getting all sorts of different views. Each piece feels like a clockwork, like some element on some huge impossible clock. Yeah, and, and like the people, even uh, in the beginning, like when they're doing their just day to day montage, they're acting like clock people. Like you got the guy hammering the blacksmith sword in a time with the guy hammering motion. the bell. Yeah, repetitive motions, and they seem to be on these cycles. Have we also established that they suck, that they're all a bunch of fucking assholes? <laughs> yes. Um, the first, one of the first things that we look at, I think, uh, is is the market. Oh, no, the first thing we see is like, we see everybody just doing their day-to-day stuff and the market shit hasn't happened yet. But then we mm. see like underground or like I don't know if it's literally underground, but it's like this spiral in the center where the big head nobleman guy is minting his coins, right. which are all just going to end up back in his pocket anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because it's like a company town. He makes the gold and then it comes back to him. Also, they yep. don't really tend to pay people and everybody's trying to rip everybody else off. Like we have yes. the marketplace scene where you have those people shrieking at each other like roosters. So, oh, we did. We didn't mention it. There is zero dialogue in this. Right. No speaking, no, or rather, there or, is, but it is not a language. Like it, yeah, it's they, babble. It's it's like Charlie Brown's parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, like babble, 
but yeah. uh it, it, it when they're when they're doing the arguing they kind of squabble like animals like they sound like clucking roosters they at each other. do sound like roosters and like their faces go red it's one of the only times that anybody's painted yeah they and distort they get they get really big <laughs> they are literally arguing over so i love how they they represent the haggling they rather than saying words they just open their mouth and they spit coins at each other yeah amounts come out and then they're yeah. like competing amounts yeah like like he's got the rooster and he'll just be like five coins and then the other person will spit out two and a half coins <laughs> And like they'll they start coming to blows over a literal quarter of a penny, yeah. which how would you even do that? Yeah, they only have these coins. I, it's not even a possible thing. <laughs> but they, of course, they are uh, the the argument is resolved when a rat comes in and takes the thing that the uh, they were fighting. Uh, it was a pizza, I think. Pizza <laughs> is what it turns out. I mean. Everything is very abstract. It looks like just a disc, but I think it's meant to be a pizza. I was thinking just bread of some kind, but yeah, it it's, it's some sort of food item and the rat gets it. I like yeah. the way the rats are done in this film because they're sometimes it's a real rat. Yeah. Or, well, I, I mean, I sometimes it's a real puppets. Yeah. Sometimes it's a real live rat. Sometimes it's taxidermied rats. Oh, okay. Because you can I see. I was wondering if. A lot of the time, you see just like a, a rat in like a hole. Oh but yeah, and, most and of the time they just I'm, filmed a rat. Yeah, most of the time I think they're taxidermied rats. I don't think they're oh, okay because they, they, it's clearly real it, fur and stuff, and it looks like a real one. It's just obviously not alive. Uh, I, yeah, okay. I, I was just thinking like they just made these rat toys, but taxidermied rats. It, they, like I don't know, it's got because them are. they really look like rats. Some of them, I think, are definitely taxidermy. Definitely the ones that are heavily featured. I don't know if all of them are, because there's a fair amount of them. Well, there's, well, that's good. This is kind of the point. There's too many rats. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it becomes a problem. That's the, that's but, the problem. So this is the interesting thing. It feels like the rats are not the villains. It feels like the rats are a symptom of the town's rot. Oh, totally. Especially like in the banquet scene uh, where. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're just all they're wasteful, like throwing their food shit on the floor. Of course, there's going to be rats. It's just dripping and dropping everywhere in there. Uh, and it, it's also we're getting an idea of inequities where these are the yeah. very rich people who yeah, are they've causing got, this like, waste. Treasure boxes full of gold coins, whereas the people in the markets are like haggling over quarters of copper coins yeah yeah exactly and like it, one guy literally sleeps on his treasure well of course you gotta have someone <laughs> he, he's like a scrooge mcduck yep um one guy is like always trying to impress all the local ladies with all of his uh fancy gold jewelry that he has uh, that is, guy is, sucks he's the rapist right he is the rapist yeah he uh, uh, he's supposed yeah. to apparently he is the town jeweler is supposed oh, to be okay. his character okay um yeah we've got like like the town the head blacksmith and taylor are in this banquet thing yeah the, um, we we see quite a bit of the blacksmith because he's got the main clock rhythm that i think he's sort of the center of the town we we get a lot of him yeah he yeah. sort of sets the rhythm mm-hmm 
but yeah, it's it's basically we're seeing all of these scenes of their grotesque debauchery as well as their miserliness. They won't give money to anyone, but they have hoarded so much of it. Uh, and they're like all of the shit that they're doing is causing the rats, but they're yeah. not going to address any of the problems. They just want someone to deal with the rats. Yeah. Get rid yeah of the no. symptom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just put a band aid on it. But uh, I, uh, our band aid, I guess, is named the Pied Piper this time as he, he comes into town. He slowly comes into town. Very spooky. Like when he comes into town, it's like a dark wizard is coming into town. He does yes. not have the demeanor of like the classic Pied Piper where he's just you, classically. I've seen him as this colorful guy dressed in green. Yeah, playing he's a flute, like a Robin happy Hood looking guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this guy this is like... scary. He looks like he's going to cause a curse on your town and they should have known better. <laughs> yeah, he's got like this this he's got like this dark cloak like uh, death. Yeah, he he looks Yeah, he looks like a, a death guy coming into town cuz he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. He, he's there to cast judgment. Uh and they hire him, of course, cuz he demonstrates very clearly that he has the capability of making the rats do whatever he wants with his pipe. Yeah, so they're like, "Okay, well, hey, you you get rid of all the rats in the town. We'll give you a thousand gold. Right. And, he's, and like, it, he's up in the tower and he shows it because like he guides the rats. He calls a bunch of them and he has them just jump out a window to their deaths. And everybody looks yeah. at it and they're just like all destroyed on the ground below. Yeah. Also, we missed the part where uh, uh, the town actually got together and completely beat the shit out of a rat. The, oh, the yeah, that was the giant. first rat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the rat's like the one run through with the bread he's like one jump ahead of the bread line <laughs> one swing ahead of the sword oh no i'm not yeah like a, a horde of people all get and they beat it with bats and just it's lying in a pool of blood, blood uh, yeah. <laughs> very bloody uh <laughs> yeah. and it's a taxidermy rat so it's pretty intense mm-hmm. uh but that's the only one that they're able to deal with themselves yeah and, and like a good half of the movie is just a montage of rats stealing shit which is uh, fun. They're burrowing into the walls of the town, and as the town is like not separate buildings, but one singular structure. Because it's all a clock. Yeah, it's all this one clock. Uh, it, it's yeah. so good. They're like, yeah, they're like bur- <laughs> burrowing holes underneath the dude's gold sacks so that yeah. the gold just drains into their like little ant tunnels. Well, again, they're they're uh, undermining all of the infrastructure, but it's also yeah. just again from their own thing where they're just hoarding this money and not putting it into the upkeep of the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the the town is going to rot, and they've blamed the rats, even yeah. though the rats are the symptom rather than the problem. And he's going to deal with them, and he does very easily. Yes. Yeah, he uh, he leads them over to a cliff, and they all jump off. Yep, super easy, no problem. Uh, there's the the fisherman who's in the in the bay, and he watches him do it. And no big problem there. I'd like uh, to imagine that the fisherman stuff. is the same guy. Uh, he's where he's still wearing his protest and survive T-shirt. Yeah, he kind of feels like that guy. Like that's none of my business. <laughs> uh, so he goes back to town. Oh, oh, there's also this point in between where he meets a lady in town. Uh, I call her Snow White because she's a Disney princess. Well, she's the only one who doesn't look like uh, an evil monster. She's not grotesque. And her yard is the only one with green grass in it. Yeah. 
And she uh, sings. She sings. But la, the, la, the la, 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 la. But the the jewelry the bejeweled guy is is hot for her and has been like trying to get with her, but she's not into him. She's into the dark wizard. Because he's yeah. way cooler. Yeah, but he's like forcing his way in with he's like, ha ha, I got jewels. Oh yeah, you're in love with me because I'm so rich. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I love that like he jumps out the window when he hears the flute. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't even see the piper coming he just heard the flute and jumped out the window well he knows he knows this guy's a fucking dark wizard it's <laughs> like oh man i don't want to deal with that i'll get out of here fine uh yeah. and he goes to get his payment <laughs> yeah at this banquet uh the guards are the two guards are like consoling the uh the jeweler because he got dumped or rejected mm-hmm. uh he he demands the piper to it's oh my god it's time to pay the piper i never knew that that's that that expression probably came from this tale it does yeah absolutely so (laughs) So they don't pay the piper yeah they don't and they are obviously having this big lavish celebration that the rats are gone they give him a button (laughs) yeah and then they laugh him out of the room and he uh and he He, well he does the angry cloak turn as he leaves and Which is the, like you should be should be worried. Yeah, and the jeweler and the guards have been drinking and they get up their courage and they rape and murder the the lady. They rape and murder freaking Snow White and burn her house down. Or Which no, they ve- trash her house. Like a very intense addition to the classic story. I mean, this is where it completely breaks off from the original version and it becomes a completely different tale because in the classical version he doesn't get his pay, so he plays the pipe, and all of the children in the town leave with him. In this version, there are no children. It is just a town that has already rotted irretrievably. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so the piper goes to goes to check on the lady after realizing he's not going to get paid, and uh, she's fucking dead. Yeah, she's dead. So suddenly he, electric guitars intensify as he climbs the tower of death. It's straight up Mandy for a second. Like it, it is. is I, I feel like even some of the score of Mandy may have been directly inspired by this segment because it feels yeah. a lot like it. Yeah, as he like so slowly climbs this tower, it's like <laughs> there's a death sculpture on top with like it's Saturn. Old... Oh, it's the god Saturn, you know, who eats oh, his children. Shit. Oh, that <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's got like this hourglass that's almost out. And he <laughs> and the piper kind of see eye to eye. They exchange like, a look. Mm, I, all right, I just it's time. imagine Saturn's like, oh man, they did you wrong, man. It is like that, totally. But yeah, he's, it's sort of him passing the judgment on it's the next day, but like, it's it's like we're we're ending this clock uh yeah yeah the the sands of the hourglass are gone now right and uh so the sun doesn't rise again because it's yeah. the 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 sour uh it's supposed to be the machinery that makes the sun rise for the town yeah but uh but that's not happening and he's just and everybody's already confused before he starts playing the music it's like what the sun's supposed to be coming up and shit yeah like oh it it, there's not a new day that's weird and then the pipe starts playing and they all start turning into rats 
<laughs> yep, slowly. And the worst ones get to keep their heads so that you can see that the bad things are happening specifically to them. Which is pretty fun. <laughs> like, uh, there's one uh, swindler guy. One of the swindlers, anyways, gets caught in a mouse trap. Right, yeah. I, I think that's the one who had the really grotesque face arguing in the market. I think it was one of the that two could, arguing in the yeah, market. Yeah, I there. think so, yeah. Because I, I recall that face being the one trapped in the, <laughs> like an arguing uh, marketplace <laughs> face uh, on a rat body in the in the rat trap, which was very funny. <laughs> and of course, yeah, he, he plays them all over the cliff and they all go to their deaths. Of course, the jeweler is the last one to go. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but he does go. And, and then... the fisherman's just sitting there watching. And he's got like the most haunted expression on his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he goes up, he goes up, and I, I'm just imagining he says to the piper, like, I know they suck, but uh, did you have to but the piper's already gone, his cloak just blows away in the wind and there's nothing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh but there's one there's one baby left in the town. I guess I'm a dad now. You know, the fisherman <laughs> takes it. <laughs> yep. Like okay, uh, but he's uh, the town is left for dead. It's the town it is, is over. Done. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it. That's the Pied Piper. It's awesome. It's a masterpiece. It's so fucking dark. Uh, it looks incredible. Like hard to explain the design of this. Like I say, yeah. it's like we're looking at all of these adventures on a clock. That's doing all of these cycles and and like every time we see they use a model for the town but they don't always use the same model every single different camera angle uses a different model because it's so it's it's not um because it's super stylized everything is incredibly stylized to this sort of clockwork design and like i said the old wood the worn out iron for all of it there's there's a very lived in feel to everything i i like how when we the first time we see the banquet scene when they're all like just partying and all that and before the shit really hits the fan the building that they're in just looks like this gigantic bloated thing that's pushing out all the other buildings to the side edges of the town yeah the design in this is so fucking cool oh, and it it really bolsters the themes of it of just this town that is in ruin, in rot, because of its own decisions. And it's looking for solutions to the symptoms rather than the problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, it's, it's so hard to describe how this town physically is. <laughs> yeah. But very highly recommend. Uh, this recently oh, came out from Deaf Crocodile, who did this in-depth restoration of it. I'm a huge fan of their work. Uh I've got everything they've released, uh, and this one is no different. They're, they're also the ones who did the uh, Delta Space mission that we talked about way, oh. way back. They've oh, probably yeah, that was that was a trip. Oh, man. Do we have another one of those in the stacks? There was other yes. ones by those guys, wasn't there? There is another one. Uh, nice. Son of the Stars, which is also mm-hmm. great. Awesome. Uh, better, awesome. I would say. Son of the Stars is my preferred of the two. I don't remember much about Delta Space mission, just that except that I tripped out cool. 
yeah it, it's it's pretty fun it, it's a little more episodic it feels it's uh it was one that's ca- uh came out of a tv series and it oh, sort right. of feels like several episodes of a tv series yeah that's right Anyway, uh, any last thoughts on either of those films before we move on to our third and final section for this week? Uh, yeah, I do have one. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back for our third and final section where we're going to talk about all the other movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to cover next week now next week on uh the day we record it's gonna be shanna's birthday yay i'm gonna be oh fuck i didn't figure out how old i was gonna be i'm gonna be (laughs) more than 40 (laughs) gonna be old (laughs) we are old uh (laughs) i'm old enough that i don't just immediately know anymore I don't even think about it. Like, I don't really celebrate it. I never really have. I'm not much for birthdays. But anyway, in celebration, we are going to just do a a total added blue pick. But we'll talk about that after uh, we go through the watched stuff. Uh, First up is Incredible But True, uh, which we're considering talking about uh, as our main feature this week. Uh, the, The Quentin Depew film, the guy who did Rubber. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So as uh, how was that? It was good. It was interesting. Uh, it was pretty funny. It's a, a couple. It, it, the tones are sort of a weird mix. It, un- unfortunately, it does have the aspect ratio issue that I mentioned. Uh, it right. is not in the right aspect ratio. So I'm going to have to contact Arrow and get a replacement copy. There is a replacement program, but I have to like contact them on social media somehow. Uh, so oh, lame. I have to figure that out uh, and I'll get a replacement copy. But well, it was at least you movie. can get one. I mean, theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> like if I have to contact them on Twitter, I'm out of luck. Oh. Uh, but it's pretty good. I, I liked it. It was interesting. It is about these the this married couple and they move into this house and the house has this trap door in the basement. And if you go through the trap door... Is 12 hours later when you come out the other side. Okay. And you're at the top of the house. Like you come down the trapdoor and you end up in one of the top floor rooms. Okay. So it's like, um, uh, like in the video games, like the old, like Donkey Kong or whatever. If you go up one side of the screen, you come back on the other side. Exactly. Okay. Uh, like, uh, uh, but it's, you, you are a day younger but it's 12 hours later yeah it's not a big game <laughs> huh oh, oh okay um so yeah all they, right they, sure they, they, they're moving into this house the real estate agent shows them this thing and one of the things about the movie in terms of its style is it's very about wasting time <laughs> the ways in which people waste time like it's sort of the theme of the movie people wasting time on fruitless pursuits that ultimately don't gain them or get them anywhere and cause more problems than they're worth like this pointless loop right right (laughs) so uh, the the reveal that that's what the thing does takes quite a while (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of conversations where people are saying like 
oh, well, let's tell them this thing. And then they like, oh, I don't want to tell them. Like, oh, why don't you tell them? And then they would tell them. Well, I want to tell them. And it goes back and forth and like, oh my God, will you just please say what the thing is already? We're trying to watch a movie here. <laughs> Move forward. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's a theme. It's what it's, it's part of it. It, it's, it's the, it is the joke, but it is frustrating at times. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the wife becomes totally obsessed with it. And she's just spending all her time going through this thing. And she is getting younger on the outside, but they learn very early on that it doesn't affect the inside. Like they take an, she takes a rotten apple through and she comes out with it and it's not rotten on the outside, but she takes a bite of it and it's just full Ooh. of bugs on the inside. Okay. Oh, and then it'll be like 12 hours older. Exactly. So it's really oh. rotten inside. Oh, okay. This is all right. This is interesting. So there, there's all that stuff and that's pretty compelling. And then there's this whole other side plot because his boss got an eye penis. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, uh, is that kind of like Dan Aykroyd's nose penis? No, like an iPhone, but it, he he uh, got his penis replaced by a cybernetic, like he he has a oh. cybernetic dick that he can use his phone to do all sorts of stuff with. Like it, <laughs> it can steer his penis, it can make it hard for as long as he wants to. All sorts of stuff. This very complex <laughs> penis implant. And it becomes like half the plot of the movie, which okay. is, is it's because it's faulty and it just keeps shorting out. And there's like a point where he's driving and it catches fire. Oh, that's the one where you were saying, like, it's incredible how much of this movie is about his dick uh, yeah. in the chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, because I sent you the, the, the part where he's like, and don't tell her what's going on with my dick. Yeah. <laughs> It's very strange. Uh, a weird mix of styles. Definitely the aspect ratio thing made it kind of a harder watch because it makes it, the, the background looks just very blurry and yeah. blurry and it, it does make it a little hard to watch. Uh, so, you know, I'll revisit it when I get a replacement copy. But it, you know, interesting, it sounds, at least. Man, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I definitely had fun with it. The, the IP to storyline is so different from the rest of the movie, though. <laughs> uh, next, a big tonal change. I watched 39 Stripes. Oh, uh, the poster is somebody whipping somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is an Ormond. Oh, stark realism on a chain gang. <laughs> he gets 39 stripes uh, from, from the whip. Uh, this my is... God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This poster, man. I love these. The Ormond posters. Yeah, they're the religious yep. movie posters. So this is the last film by Ron Ormond. Oh. Uh, he, he died of cancer shortly after this. Uh, so the remaining films in the set are directed by Tim. Okay. Tim Ormond. Uh, he's the star of this one, which, I don't know, it feels like it's almost satirical to cast him as a <laughs> chain gang inmate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim Ormond. I mean, you, you've seen him. In a, he, he was the kid. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's, I, I guess, grown up now. Yeah, he's like in his 20s now. He's got kind of a wormy mustache. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not impressive. Uh, it, he really, it, it, it feels like they're 
making a joke by having him be the guy almost. And I don't know who the who the joke is on. Maybe it's us. <laughs> so it is a true story. It's about this guy who created a prison ministry, uh, Hearts Aglow Prison Ministry. So it's his story. And we don't get enough of real guy telling his story, which is kind of what I would enjoy. Like like we were talking about last week with Edge of Tomorrow and Schmitty. I wanted a bit more like that. That would have been better. Mostly it's Tim Orman dramatizing it and being a very pious inmate on a chain gang. Because <laughs> like what he goes to jail for is he was pawning his Bible is the thing at a, at a pawn shop. And he realized that they have you know, a bunch of money in that pawn shop. And then this other guy gets him to rob the pawn shop with him. And he's really mainly doing it to get his Bible back. And he ends up in prison <laughs> for this. I, okay. So it's already very Bible based. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to pawn a Bible and see how much I get. It's it's like a, a very elaborate family Bible. Like it's it's a very expensive one. And even then the guy's like, I don't know, man. I can give you like five bucks for it or something. Best I can do is five bucks. It, it is a best I could do is five bucks. And he's really put out by it. He does really need the money for whatever. He's trying to start a criminal enterprise. I, I don't know. Ends up in ends up on the chain gang. And it's like a really biblical prison where they rule by biblical laws where they it's it's a thing from the Bible where you you can't give them 40 lashes because 40 will kill someone so you give them 39 and bring them right up to the point of death oh yeah <laughs> so somehow this makes him born again uh, sure <laughs> <laughs> i don't I, I that's the story i don't i don't really follow how it comes together he gets oh, oh right again. it's a real guy he's a real guy yeah uh, and he, okay he's proselytizing to all of his fellow inmates and he becomes like prison preacher. Right. Uh, somehow <laughs> in the telling of the story, I forgot that you preface it by saying that it was true. <laughs> it's a true story. True, true Ormond story. Uh, so yeah. It's, I mean, it's bad. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I, I I laughed though. There, there were, there were things that were entertaining. It definitely was not as amusing as believers have it. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, next, from the criminal acts of Todd Slaughter, uh, the demon barber of Fleet Street, Sweeney Todd. Uh, yeah, we talked about this a bit uh, last week, didn't we? Yeah, so it's a 30s version of the story, pretty basic. I would say it's the classic version of, uh, that most people would have known in the era. Huh. Uh, so, you know... <laughs> Demon Barber, you're sort of familiar with the the basics. You've seen other versions. I've seen the I've seen the Burton one, and I think yeah. that's it. Yeah, that one's so so. Uh, this one, I don't know. It's interesting. The thing is, he 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 keeps saying the same thing. He always uses the same phrase. He's always like <laughs> standing outside his barber shop, looking at men go by, and it's like, well, I'd like to polish him off. Oh, I'd like to polish that one off. I polish them off every day. The brown hairs and the blonde hairs. <laughs> oh my god. It's always polish them off. Hmm. So I'm waiting for anybody at any point to call it out at least as a double entendre, but nobody ever does. Everyone's like, oh, he's really into his work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so the, the basic story, you know, he's got his barbershop and he uh, when he gets a hold of someone who's really rich and has a bunch of money, he, you know, uh, has a has a lever where he flips the barber chair over and they fall into the basement on their head. And when they're knocked out, he goes down there and he cuts their throat with a straight razor. And right. uh, next door is a meat pie shop and the lady who runs the place has a partnership with him and she grinds them up and serves them as meat pies. Right, right. She was uh, probably Helena Bonham Carter in the movie. Correct. Yes. Uh, there's also this subplot that's pretty key is he has been getting a steady stream of orphan boys as assistants. And he's on like the seventh or eighth one. The guy's like, I'm not giving you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all. They all ran away. You know how boys are. That is the explanation. Oh my God. So. Yeah. The, the kid is just kind of vaguely on the uh, under the awareness of what's going on there. He doesn't quite know, but like he at certain points he gets sent to go buy a meat pie and like, here, I'm going to give you this. You've done very good today. Go buy a meat pie and walk all the way there. And like one that's big enough to last you for this long. And that's when he kills the guys when while the kid's out of the room. Right, right. So he's sort of an alibi as well, and he's sort of serving that purpose. But then, you know, once he knows too much, he's going to have to also go into the meat pies. Oh, and then then he got to get another orphan. Exactly. Although they're not going to give him anymore, so he is in kind of a bind as far as that goes. Shit, he might have to just not kill one. But there is also, there's this one dude who's gone away to, like, the colonies, and I think he dealt with a slave revolt in Haiti or something and he's back and he's ended up with like a bunch of diamonds or something cool <laughs> and obviously he ends up in the chair and he gets dumped but the lady has been gradually souring against Todd and she kind of bundles the guy out instead of killing him and uh, the guy is going to raid the place. And, you know, it, it turns into the whole thing. All sort of stuff that was in the other version. This, of course, it's the 30s. It's much more lo-fi. It's much more right. low-key. Sounds fun. It is decent. Uh, next, we've got The 13 Steps of Maki, which is, like, just straight up a Miko-sploitation movie. Miko Kaji. <laughs> It oh, is, okay. It's it's like uh, it, it's partially stray cat rock. I mean, it's a lot of stray cat rock. If I'm being <laughs> honest, there's there's quite a ton of it, um, and a lot of female prisoner scorpion. Uh, there and Sonny Chiba's in it. Oh, Sonny Chiba's in this. <laughs> uh, he's sort of in it. <laughs> <laughs> he he uh, is it like how um. Oh, what's her name was in the second Stray Cat Rock, but it was really just for one shot. Basically. Um, so this is in the Sonny Chiba collection volume two. Uh, but Oh, he, that's okay. He is the brother of the main character once again, just like the first one. Uh, and he appears in a photograph that she has of him. <laughs> For most of the movie, they 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 show the photograph a bunch of times, so he's kind of in it. And then near the end, she has a dream sequence of training with him. <laughs> so, so wow, he's really <laughs> yeah, not really in the movie. <laughs> he's he's very not in the movie. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, but the rest of it, it's just a stray cat rock thing. There's this girl. 
uh maki she's I, I don't know what the 13 steps of maki are apparently it, the lyrics of the theme song are about that but the subtitles don't translate them so i don't know <laughs> i hate when they don't do that for songs <laughs> it's true i really do it's the theme song uh but yeah. 13 is her number she has like shirts that say 13 on them all the time when she goes to prison later she's prisoner 13 <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah i mean good on them they they really uh cooperated with her and uh, <laughs> or maybe she just timed it so that she would be the 13th person to go to that jail uh, no <laughs> no <laughs> it's i mean it's a chaotic jail thing um it, i mean it's it's female prisoner scorpion for a while so yeah. it, it's her and her girl gang she's got a girl gang obviously and they've got all their rivalries it's really amplified like it's just straight up them as stray cat rock gang having the rivalry with the other gang it's even the same thing with uh what was the name of the group oh um it was like the seru group or whatever yeah something with an s it was yeah like that the seru group or something i don't know it's basically the exact same thing they've got this group that's backing this other gang uh (laughs) it's much more heightened you've got this other girl on the other side who has this beef with Maki and uh, she it keeps capturing the gang and that she doesn't entirely get that ultimately they're, you know, torturing all of these ladies and forcing them into sex work. And she's kind of enabling that. Uh, oh. <laughs> she, she has a change of heart much later in the movie. She falls in love with this bodyguard who, gets his eyes ripped out uh like it's it's an extremely escalated version of them with all of them like it's both stray cat rock that becomes female prisoner scorpion because in the middle of it she ends up going to jail and then there's all this prison violence and then of course at the end she has to do the revenge but there's way too much revenge for it to be one scene so it's like 20 minutes of her just killing an entire house full of dudes in suits none of them have names she's like hitting dudes eyes are popping out there's one guy who has gold teeth and she punches him in the mouth and it's like a bunch of corn comes out of his face man (laughs) this sounds awesome it was fun (laughs) it was pretty fun good time like it's clearly a knockoff but it's crazy toxic knockoff (laughs) Uh, All right. Next, uh, Emmanuel in Bangkok. Uh, <laughs> so it's the next Emmanuel film. Uh, there's not much of a plot in these. They're much like the Cardona pictures where it's just uh, Emmanuel goes to a place and she meets people who are sexy and they all have sex. <laughs> <laughs> She's just totally into everyone. Everyone's into her. Uh, this one, it's both Thailand and Morocco. First uh half is mostly thailand second half mostly morocco uh because she ends up falling afoul of the police and she has to get out of town the the fun thing is like there's no drama like even though she falls afoul of the police people ransack her house uh, her passport gets stolen she's never concerned she's never worried about it (laughs) Because she always knows that her sex will get her through. <laughs> She's like, ah, someone stole my passport. I'm like, oh, well, there'll be a horny guy at the passport office. <laughs> of course there will. And there is. And then sure. you know, when she gets to the next place, like, lonely daughter of the consulate. Hey, what are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's great. I mean, I, I had a really fun time. There's not a lot to it. It's just, you know, we see all of the sites in Bangkok and all of the sites in Casablanca. And then there's a ton of sex. <laughs> like every single scene, <laughs> she takes her top off. It, it is, it, there, there's <laughs> like, if she is not in public, you will see her breasts. <laughs> whenever she's not on the screen all the other characters should be saying where is emmanuel's breasts i mean the coolest thing about her it's it's laura gemser and she really does have this energy and i saw someone else post about this on letterboxd that she th there are so many scenes where it's just her walking through a crowd and everybody looks at her and like she is a goddess uh and she just radiates that uh and it, it it's what makes the character work hmm. all right next last one from the films of enrique gomez video box johnny chicano uh this one's kind of mostly just a melodrama uh there's oh. this it's it's this guy he's a mexican field worker you know uh fruit picking uh yeah southern california coachella valley okay yeah uh, and he plays guitar and he's just he he's a chicano he's got he's very hot-blooded uh very dramatic a lot of coded erotic homoeroticism like it, it's never an actual part of the plot but there's a lot of that in in the sort of 50 sense where it, it's heavily coded into it like it is right. a queer filmmaker who definitely is putting it in there okay uh, but he has this romance with the daughter of his boss. Like uh, she's, she's come home from college or something and she sees him as they're driving by and she's just into him and it just ruins everyone's life. Hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a buddy of his and they keep getting into bar fights and he is in love with his sister. Like he's in love with Johnny's sister. Right. Uh, but he's an illegal immigrant and he ends up getting deported. And so the sister decides to stay with them. It's just drama, melodrama, so much. <laughs> uh, very nicely shot, you know, uh, interesting. I, I'm interested in the director. Uh, there, There's definitely a distinct voice throughout all three of these. Okay, cool. Next is Steve McQueen's final film, The Hunter. Oh, uh, based on a true story uh, about bounty hunter Ralph Papa Thorson. Uh, it's it's strange. It's a movie about the past. And it's a movie about people who are super nostalgic for the past to a point that they can't really live in the present. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they're supposed to be wrong. It kind of feels like maybe the movie feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's stacked with like really classic older character actors so it's steve mcqueen's final movie he was dying of cancer making the movie right uh and he's a bounty hunter so it's just a bunch of bounty hunter adventures his boss is eli wallach or one of the main guys who sends him on all of his adventures is eli wallach which is cool oh oh yeah um the Tuco. Yeah. yeah he's a lot of fun cool all right uh there's lavar burton as one of the guys he has to arrest who just ends up living at his house for some reason for most of the movie he's always <laughs> just hanging out fixing stuff in his house that he didn't think was broken <laughs> it's a really young lavar burton because it's 1980 yeah it so was like just seven years pre-jordy so yeah he's, he's kind of adorable um 
I, I, like there's not much of a plot it's him going on a bunch of bounty hunting adventures one of them is this really crazy chase sequence in chicago that's very impressive uh ends up going up on the elevated he's on the top of a train guys shooting at him from below uh it, there's also this plot line about this guy who's stalking him and keeps calling and is going to like kidnap his girlfriend is trying to kill him uh, right and that turns into a whole crazy, very 80s climax that feels especially made up. Maybe some of the <laughs> other stuff is from Papa Thorson's real life. This last thing feels like the 80s capper. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool because it's Tracy Walter as the bad guy. I'm a big fan of Tracy Walter. Oh, I don't cool. know who you'd know him from. He, nope. He's in Batman. <laughs> oh. The, the 89 Batman. He is the second in command of the Joker. Oh, okay. More famous role. I love him. Then. I haven't seen, oh man, I haven't seen 89 Batman in a long time. Uh, I had his trading card as a kid, Bob the Goon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next is Amazon Jail. It's where they put you when you don't meet your quota, right? <laughs> oh, or if you try to go to the bathroom. Uh, this is an early 80s Brazilian picture. Uh, so literally in the Amazon. Ooh. like shot in <laughs> nice uh, nice it, it is from what the uh, the the vinegar syndrome disc says on the back it is the boca delixo or mouth of garbage film movement <laughs> what <laughs> so super trashy hyper exploitation uh there it's uh the amazon jail it's not really a jail exactly it's a bamboo hut where sex slaves are kept uh, okay. it's, it's like a sex trafficking thing there's all these ladies who are being grabbed off the streets or are you know shanghai and you know pretend that they were getting a job as a tour guide or something right 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 and they're all just being kept in this shack uh the plot never makes much sense most of these characters are totally insane nobody <laughs> has any real logic to what they do uh there's this very ludicrous guy edgar who runs the place and he's got a very huge mustache and he's he's like if uh eliazar were a sex trafficker <laughs> he's got that kind of energy <laughs> okay uh there is this uh his second in command is this nasty lesbian lady obviously because it's a women in prison sort of movie right uh for some reason a bunch of the ladies who are being sex trafficked have unionized they claim and they're not going to have sex with anyone and they're resisting doing anything and they refuse to be seen by the men they're supposed to be sold to i don't know how i bet works. the sex traffickers are real good at union busting it's they're not as bad not as good as you figure really uh, the <laughs> so edgar has a nephew who's come to visit and he falls in love with one of the girls so he keeps trying to break them all out and you know there's the the actual part of them being sex trafficked and them dealing with Edgar and the lesbian, like it ends like halfway through. They explode them. And <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like they don't realize that they've already won because then they're just lost in the jungle for the rest of the movie and they seem to think they're still being chased by them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a lot of crazy pyrotechnics. One of the part where they escape, they they've they've got a Molotov cocktail and they're making out with the guards through the bars like the bamboo bars and then they like jump back and they 
hit the bars with the Molotov cocktail and they show it from the exterior and it's just this huge gasoline explosion with two dummies in it. They just <laughs> lit up. Incredible. Yes. Super sweaty, just, you know, a, a lot of rape. <laughs> Constant nudity. Like, I, I don't think mm. there is a scene without nudity. <laughs> uh, very, very trashy. Next is What Doesn't Float? Uh, which is an anthology picture. This is a new movie this year. Uh, so it's New York. Some New York locations, some New York people. Um, very New York people. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's like, they're, they're little tiny vignettes about people just being kind of crazy. <laughs> and some of them are good and some of them are awful. Some of them are really <laughs> unpleasant people. But some mm. of them are, are lovable. Uh, one of them is uh shit, what's his name um larry fessenden uh who was in he was in the silver bullets trilogy i think he was in the second one he was the actor at the start oh okay, okay. who's doing the scene with the lady or doing kind of like they're talking about stuff and i don't know <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> he's very sweet in it he's got probably the sweetest part of the movie and I, I like it's hard to explain. There's just a, a bunch of different stuff. Like there's these girls hanging out in a pool all night, and one of them encourages them to go watch the sunrise. But she had this alternative thing because she actually found some human bones and she secretly buried them and she wanted them to look at them and and <laughs> then she but then she gets there and realizes that she can't find them anymore and she kind of has a meltdown. I mean, there's a lot of vignettes, even though it's a pretty short movie. It's like 70 minutes. They're very quick. So it's a lot of stuff. There's a point where there's a paddleboard dude who accidentally knocks over some cans. And then this outraged lady shows up and she just is video. Uh, she's uh, making video of him on her phone. And uh, he's like, this man won't do this thing. And he, it just keeps escalating obviously oh <laughs> there's a part where a dude is getting stoned on uh getting stoned in his car next to a beach and he's watching this girl uh strip down to a swimsuit and go swimming but then he's really stoned and he's watching her and he masturbates but then he realizes that she hasn't come back up and he decides that she maybe committed suicide and he freaks out <laughs> all sorts oh, of stuff yeah wow it's it's all over the place <laughs> some oh, of the people God. just enrage me some of the people are very lovable it's very funny at times a lot of incredible locations hmm. that sounds interesting too yeah next is robot jocks uh which completes the empire of screams box set so uh that would be an inactive stacks pick but we'll do one next week all so right. this one, it is a dystopian future. Uh, very detailed, really great details in the background. Like one of the things is there's constant breeding propaganda because there's a low birth rate. So it's like, you know, do your part. And all, all sorts <laughs> of images of pregnant women on uh, just giant banners of pregnant women everywhere. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> so as I said, not a lot of mech fighting, not as much as you might want, even though the effects for it are beautiful. They're incredible. I, I sent you a few clips from this. Oh, yeah. I think I think I saw those. Yeah, there's also the part with the the coach guy, Tex, who jumps out a window at one point after they try to arrest him. 
Oh, I definitely remember. I know seeing you talked. That. About, I know where you saw that because I talked to you about that one. Yeah, because I said that reminds me of uh, Jim Ross from WWE. Yeah, he's definitely got that kind of energy. So he's the main coach for the American team of mech suit warriors, robot jock. So it's the future. Uh, individual combat is how uh, all things are solved. But lately, the guy on the Russian side, I think he's supposed to be Russian. They're called the Confederacy. The bad guys are the Confederacy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're, he's been winning. He's just been kind of racking up defeats, and he's really brutal. He's just killing them at the end each time. And that's what we see at the very start. We see the very end of a battle. Uh, which is kind of cool. You get to see just the littered battlefield of all these robot parts, which is fun. <laughs> and they come in, they have him kill the other guy. And then we get one fight early on, which doesn't go well. <laughs> our, <laughs> our main robot jock, uh, he tries to block a rocket fist that looks like it's going to hit the audience but it hits his mech and then he falls on the audience and just like 300 people are killed. Oh, right. Yeah. I sent you that. I, I, I sent you yeah, that. I saw happened. that one. Yeah. <laughs> so a big, uh, a really huge PR problem. And there isn't another fight until the end of the movie. Although to be fair, the last fight is like 20 minutes long. It's really intense. Okay. Okay uh i mean yeah it's it's fun i i really dig it it, it like you do want more battles <laughs> yeah yeah i would you but still want more good yeah yeah i i like a good long one yeah it, it is a pretty good long one they transform in it they go into space at one point it's 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 a big big final battle oh man that sounds sounds pretty good yeah next we've got how to make a doll I sent you a bunch of clips of this one. Very fucking stupid and weird. Is this the one with all the sex and like the yeah. onion on the belt? And... Yeah. <laughs> a Herschel Gordon Lewis picture. It's a sex comedy, which is not usually his genre. He's a gore guy. Uh, comedy yeah. isn't really his thing. So <laughs> he, uh, apparently he, he doesn't introduce an introduction on the disc. This is from the Arrow big cereal box set. And he says that it was the idea of the wife of the producer who just had this idea for a movie and really wanted it to be made. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll make it. And he wrote it, but he didn't even put his own name on it as a writer. And this is Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, wow. He's shameless. So there's this nerd. He's very unpopular with girls. He's just like walking around, watching people make out on the ground. And he's like, getting up close and getting way too personal and getting into their business. But why are also people just making out on the ground all over the place? I don't know. Uh, college. Am I right? Am I, I right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it is 1968, but well, uh, well. he's got this thing where he's been developing a supercomputer. Oh, you can't be having sex when you're doing that. You got, you got to pick one or the other. Well, he just doesn't seem to understand sex. I, I, I don't get exactly like he he's like looking at people making out like it's an equation that he doesn't understand. Anyway, there's this older scientist who's telling him how to build this supercomputer. And he has this unbelievably long story because he starts <laughs> saying about how he has solved the problem. He figured it out. 
he's got Eureka. And he starts saying how he came to it. And he just basically tells the story of his entire previous day. <laughs> he's like walking him around. And the guy keeps saying, and then you figured it out. He's like, no. And then this happened. <laughs> and the audience is going, oh, I have a fuck. Anyway, eventually it comes out that he's figured the thing out and they punch in a bunch of information and a babe comes out of the computer. <gasps> well, actually, first a bunny comes out. He he creates a bunny because uh, the nerd has always wanted a bunny, which is key. It becomes very important. It's the end of the movie. Uh, the oh, girl, God. Okay, sure. The, the, girl, the girl is part bunny. Uh, but... Of course he, he tries that and it's like oh it's a bunny it's what i've always wanted this is so wonderful and they put it back in and it's like oh but like how about babes and then they have an orgy and that's going on forever uh the professor <laughs> dies of a heart attack during the orgy <laughs> during <laughs> they they he and the girls go back into the computer like he goes into the computer with the girls and then he is part of it and then he is able to guide the nerd through the computer but then he like takes over the nerd's life and he's making him go on all these dates and do all this <laughs> stuff with ladies to come back and tell him all the dirty details because he's like a dirty old man in a computer now. Oh, fuck. It's weird. <laughs> this sounds dumb. It's pretty dumb. <laughs> uh, next, my... Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday order showed up and I finally got the fucking Vinegar Syndrome Lost Picture Show box, which I have been very excited for. This set of 10 lost films that they've uh, released. Ooh. So the first one I watched, of course, is The Rare Blue Apes of Cannibal Isle. Uh, I, I sent you pictures of this like when they posted them on the website. They're the weird blue ape costume, the kid oh, in the rowboat. Yeah. Oh man, I I only vaguely remember that. Just fascinating thing that I had to see. Uh, it's the most compelling of the bunch uh, at the outset. So it's a lost children's film. Oh okay. From, oh yeah. I, I sent you a bunch the of clips from this too. The crocodile yeah. people. Uh, yeah. The swampies. Fuck. So it's from the mid seventies. It's shot in Malaysia. For some reason, everybody is dubbed with very British voices. <laughs> it's this kid. He's mute at the start. I think he's mute around his family because the rest of the movie he talks. <laughs> but he's mute, and he has this pet duck, Mister Quack Quack, who's just like a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem to the parents the parents are like we got to sell him to these uh people who live down the road because we can't deal with it anymore he just causes so many problems this duck somehow <laughs> he's like it's, it's like goose simulator duck i guess <laughs> yeah, sure so he has this nightmare about the duck being eaten by the people they're going to sell him to and he runs away with the duck and he encounters <laughs> these alligator people who have a blue ape in a cage <laughs> this really posh blue ape it turns out he's like part of a bloodline that goes back to god or something and he's like they're the original <laughs> blue bloods and they have all song about it <laughs> it's a musical obviously there's a bunch of songs oh, best one <laughs> do the crocodiles sing and dance oh you damn right they do one of them sings <laughs> bobo and it's a song about how everybody's mean to bobo <laughs> oh, why you gotta be mean to Bobo? I'm picking on the Bobo. Everybody's picking on the Bobo. Uh, 
I do love the music, not so much the songs. I mean, some of the songs are good, but there is just constant ARP synth all the time, and I fucking dig it. <laughs> uh, it's very weird, though. Uh, he So he gets captured, obviously, when he when he sees them with the ape, and then he's in the cage with the ape, and they're always saying how they're going to eat them, but they get away, and then these alligators always trying to catch them to eat them. Uh, <laughs> he gets back to his rich family who i don't know they own a diamond mine or something <laughs> <laughs> sure the, the apes are, are trying to get a hold of the mine is part of the thing or the the alligators oh. <laughs> they want to they, they're they're river pirates they want the mine uh and then they you know they have a big battle <laughs> it's weird it's very weird it's hard to explain <laughs> all right uh, yeah, the, no, the clips you sent me uh, didn't help. <laughs> no. It's it's a very singular thing. Uh, last up is Shredder Orpheus. Uh, do you know the the myth of Orpheus or the the Orphic legend? Uh, a little, but no, not okay. really. I've seen a bunch of different versions of it at this point, like Black Orpheus and uh, the Orphic trilogy from Cattell. But uh, or is is it Cattell? I don't know. Uh, anyway, this one's a skate DIY dystopian new wave noise <laughs> version of it. <laughs> so uh, it's it's the dystopian future. It's sort of new wavy. You've got all these guys who look like Klaus Nomi. I got that like the plasticized <laughs> hair and the white face paint. Oh my god! Okay, yes, ridiculous I, suits. I sent yeah. you some clips of this too. I, yeah, I, I was trying to think of who the guys in the suits reminded me of, and I couldn't think of it. Oh, it's totally Klaus Nomi, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. now that you mention it, I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah. So we do the myth in the first half where he's in love with Eurydice, Orpheus, and he has his lyre. And it's, an, it's called the Axe Lyre in this, and it's like a sci-fi device. Uh, it's like a, a, like a rectangle. I, I guess it's like a rhombus uh with a couple points on it and it it's a synth and it glows when he plays it it's like the key from masters of the universe oh okay sure uh so he he plays that that's his his musical instrument uh but at his wedding the 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 network which is run by these guys in suits they want him they're trying to get recruit him to play for them or something musically like they, they want him as a star for some reason right. yeah um because you know he he knows what the youth want <laughs> I he's see. got the heartbeat of the youth uh so they shoot his bride off the rooftop and she falls to her death and <laughs> there's this whole thing he he goes to the central office building which is hell which is you know death hades whatever <laughs> Uh, and it, there's a whole thing about shredding there too, where like they shred your memory, which is like a literal manila folder. Oh, okay. You're reborn in like a different form. I don't know. I, I don't quite get how that works. And they, they can shred parts of your memory. Interesting. Uh, but he, so the, the basic deal in the original Orphic myth is he goes to talk to, the lord of the underworld and he wants to take eurydice out with him and he makes him a deal he's like okay if you can walk all the way out with her without looking back 
uh, then you can go free. Like the both of you can go. But uh, if you look back once, uh, she's lost forever. And of course, at the last minute, he looks back and she's lost forever. So that happens in like the first half of the movie. And then in the second half, he's in a skate gang. They're like doing all these skate videos, going down parking garages. And then they (laughs) assault the office building, which is kind of (laughs) matrixy. Hard to explain, but it was fun. (laughs) I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'm just imagining like, it's like, man, you killed my girlfriend. Now I'm definitely not going to perform music for you, man. What the fuck? But it does work. He ends up playing for them. And like, because he, <laughs> like, he has to go to the building and he has to go to the talent show to get in to find her because she's supposed right. to be a dancer. So he thinks she's maybe been brought in to work somewhere there. And he's like spirited her memory files out that he's going to give back to her somehow. I, I, it is, I don't know quite how it works. The thing is, he starts playing and he does this like noise performance piece which is kind of cool there's a lot of just noise there's there's points where there's a bunch of people just doing garbage percussion out in a (laughs) junkyard for a while which is cool Uh, it's kind of an art film (laughs) Hmm. Uh, but he plays and there's like a studio audience of punks who are really into it but the mainstream viewing audience absolutely hate it and it just co- totally goes down in flames so it was a mistake in the first place to even want him it turns out they, they really blew it uh so those are our 13 picks for this week what do you figure um well <laughs> some good picks right <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh i mean I haven't seen any girl bosses murdering anybody lately. It's so, true. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I have, but it feels like I haven't. <laughs> so we could do the 13 steps of Maki. <laughs> there is a character in it who is just called girl boss. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but I don't know if we can make a whole part of an episode out of that. Maybe we it, can, maybe we it, can't, but it is very chaotic. There is a lot of stuff, but, it's also just very, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. <laughs> so we could definitely fit in something else if you want. Yeah, I was kind of thinking so. Um, so you've got me curious about what doesn't float. You got me wondering. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it or not, but I'm interested. I I found it a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. There's definitely parts of it that were better than others, but uh, very interesting. And I just love a film that's totally in its locations like it's sort of a city symphony in a way it's it's very much living in each of these locations and they're all very distinct very specific points of the city cool yeah so no, 13 i don't know a monkey. whole lot about new york but i yeah yeah. I'd, yeah i've seen lots of stuff shot there is the thing. Yeah, well yeah uh, that's the thing the, never... the, what's what's cool is it's uh lesser seen places so it, it, they really feel authentic you know okay okay and it's yes. made by real New York filmmakers and stuff, so there's clearly an affinity with the location. Nice, nice. So yeah, 13 Steps of Maki and What Doesn't Float, then, uh, for our second feature. But for our main feature, uh, I mean, we'll just throw it open. Uh, you know, it's birthday pick. What do you want to... What are, what are you into? Well, um, I, I was kind of thinking about it, and there's a couple of movies... I mean, there's a bunch of movies that I... I'll, that you always say, oh, you got to see this. Oh, um, wait, shit. We still need to do the moves. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> yeah, well, we've got moves. Yeah, let's do that. We we should do those first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So first, Shiver of the Vampires is added to the main sex. This is an early genre land, probably my favorite genre land. Okay. This is the one I've talked about a bunch of times where uh, there's this lady who goes on her honeymoon to this weird vampire house. And then when her husband's out of the room, the vampire lesbian pops out of the grandfather clock and spirits her away. <laughs> I love uh, it. That it's really great. Like my jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next from the Ormond box, we've got, it's about the second coming. Mm, that doesn't sound like my jam. <laughs> it's a bunch of Bible stories. <laughs> oh, by the Ormonds, this is going to be great. <laughs> Uh, okay, here, let me just read the, the letterbox description because it's very funny. Depictions of famous biblical stories as well as the end times accompany an overarching plot of a man who continues to avoid church even as the end <laughs> of the world draws closer. I'm a lover, not a Christian. I think that might actually be my jam. That's probably going to be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it maybe. <laughs> uh, next, from the Todd Slaughterbox, we've got The Crimes of Stephen Hawk. Uh, I don't know if this is also a true story one. Uh, it's just so Stephen Hawk. Um, I don't know. Apparently, it's just sort of a. Uh, it, it seems like maybe it's a documentary style one. Kind of get it. Hmm. Like they're I'm like it's a radio the... program. Yeah, I'm looking I, at the description, and yeah, I think the description I, might just be wrong. I think it might be uh, for a different uh, movie. I feel no, like no, it is. Yeah, so it's it's just apparently it's heavily padded. Okay, so it's kind of got a variety show vaudeville kind of feel to it, with uh, uh, a whole like musical theater bit first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll see. Next from the Sunny Chiba set, we've got Karate Warriors. Ooh. Is he in this one? Uh, I think he's actually the main character in this one. Nice. <laughs> um, he's protecting a little boy while coping with rival gangs. A pretty oh. basic plot line. Uh, sure. Great fucking poster. Just him uh, in full battle stance with just like a vest on. And there's a small child cowering between his legs while two entire gangs run at him just <laughs> people disappearing into the distance yeah <laughs> uh lots of katana fights apparently <laughs> uh very uh cartoony from the looks of it <laughs> next in the emmanuel set we've got emmanuel in america oh. again i guess she was in america in the <laughs> second one too but it was a different era different character <laughs> this one's a whole crazy thing i i think there's stuff about bestiality in it i know there's a thing about a snuff film ring in this one mm. so this one's a, a little bit more crazy and debauched this is supposed to be one of the more out there ones in the set mm. uh, All right. uh next we've got amazon jail 2 which apparently is just a totally unrelated film. It has nothing to do with the first one. Yeah, I was going to say, did Amazon Jail deserve or need a sequel? I mean, it definitely couldn't have a sequel with any of the characters. There was not many of them left. <laughs> uh, very little possibility for the plot to continue from that point. Uh, there's is just the like people getting married there? at the end. 
No, it was oh. it was burned. It it mm. it got destroyed. Ah, <laughs> uh, well then. <laughs> but this one, it, it's the same plot basically. Uh, ladies being kidnapped and kept in uh, jail in the jungle to be sex trafficked. Uh, same concept. <laughs> uh, I right. hear it's a lot worse. And there's also, for some reason, a Yakuza hanging around in the Brazilian jungle. Sure. They <laughs> definitely... Why not? <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm now suddenly going to find out that uh, the, the Yakuza actually had a huge Brazilian presence or something. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Uh, next, we've got The Wizard of Gore, which is the next one in the Herschel Gordon-Lewis box. This is one I've seen before. It's one of his mm -hmm. really classic gore films uh, when he came back to the genre, uh, genre such as it is. Uh, this one's gross. <laughs> it's really gory. Uh, so The Wizard of Gore, he's this guy who has this stage show where uh, he brings women up onto the stage and then he just like he hypnotizes them. And then he just destroys their face with his hands, just like ripping their face apart. It's really oh. cool and gross. And he's just like pulling meat out of their face, pulling their eyes out. It's just going to take their face off. Yeah. And it's like a stage show. And like, there's a whole audience and stuff. And Jesus there was like Christ. mesmerized. And then at the end of the act, he like snaps his fingers and nothing's happened and she's fine. And then they go home and their face falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> their face falls apart they die uh <laughs> like whatever had happened actually did happen but it was delayed for a bit i don't know how it works exactly it doesn't make any sense that happens a bunch of times hmm. <laughs> it's mostly a movie of him uh hypnotizing someone and then ripping their face apart and then they wake up and they're okay and then their <laughs> face falls apart <laughs> hmm. <laughs> sounds it's herschel gordon lewisy <laughs> It's, it is a very particular flavor. Uh, and last, uh, from the uh, Lost Films box, the first one in the set is Barbara. Uh, so it's a teenage girl hanging out on Fire Island, having just tons of sex. Cool. <laughs> uh, and, uh, bisexual. Uh, she gets her brother to come out, and then she has sex with him, too. Uh, they they start plotting to get their parents out there too. I don't know. You can see why it might be a, might have been a lost film in 1970. Yeah, maybe uh... <laughs> just a bunch of people trying to have sex with their entire family on Fire Island. Yeah, <laughs> hmm. Hmm. it it's definitely a hippie film. Like you can see from the poster, <laughs> your duty is to go forth and freak out the world. So I think it's oh, going to be one man. of these freak out hippie things. I think it's probably going to be pretty fun. Hmm. All right. <laughs> I, I'm expecting something very similar to the Robert Downey Sr. films, uh, which you cool. haven't seen any of, but no, I have seen have been goofball. So anyway, uh, your birthday pick. What do you what do you figure? So there, there's over the years, there's there's been a whole bunch of movies that we've talked about that are like everybody see has seen them, but I haven't because I've been you know, weirdly sheltered over the course of my life. Sure. <laughs> and, and as we know, uh, I tend to get movies with similar titles mixed up and movies with similar premises mixed up. Mm. And sometimes I'll get movies mixed up when they don't have a similar title or similar premise. And 
no one will no one including me will know why i'm getting it mixed up in this case i don't know the difference between metropolis and brazil or if they're even similar uh well i, I would say the metropolis is definitely influential on brazil metropolis is a silent film from the 20s right. okay so uh, that is the silent one yeah so it is about uh it's it's a future dystopia type thing sort of a utopia slash dystopia it's utopian on the outside but dystopian on the inside okay uh very long uh you know it's from that era of film when filmmakers were trying to experiment with doing much longer films although i also have the 80s cut when a lot of the film was lost and they colorized it and put a bunch of new wave music on it which was kind of fun Hmm. (laughs) but you know the 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 full version is obviously better right Uh, of course yeah so there's this whole thing with the workers revolt uh they drown the workers there's a big machine god moloch that people are worshiping uh there's a mad scientist who develops a robot lady Um, this sounds awesome oh it's it's fucking incredible it's one of my favorite films (laughs) but then so is brazil so brazil is an 80s movie terry gilliam uh you know from monty python right yeah yeah he's the guy who did all the animations and stuff on the show oh okay yeah and he co-directed all of their films uh he was the american guy in the group so he didn't do much of the acting on camera right right uh so brazil is his big future dystopia and i think heavily influenced by metropolis Uh, okay so they are both future dystopias that's probably why i mashed them together yeah, so it's Jonathan Price, who you may know as the main villain in Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, yeah. Yep, I remember him. He had a thing where he made the GPSs wrong, and it was going to start World War Three, and then he was going to uh, cover it on his newspaper, and that was his Correct. plan. That was the plan. <laughs> By making the GPS wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a great one. Um. <laughs> So in this, he's the hero, he or hero. He is this nebbishy office worker who kind of has these dreams of being heroic. And okay. he's sort of through a typo, you know, a, a bug falls into a machine and it causes a typo. And it's this sort of dystopian 1984-esque future where, you know, they send tr- shock troops out to grab someone and black bag them at any time. Right. And the wrong person gets black bagged. You know, because of a typo. Oh, because oh, and okay, they get pulled in, and that's not really a major concern, but it causes paperwork, and it just becomes this whole issue that cascades down to his level because he's pretty low level, right? And he sort of becomes aware of problems in the system. Uh, there's like he knows one of the torturers; he just doesn't know that he's a torturer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's got a very rich mother, which has kind of kept him safe. Uh, she's always having plastic surgery. There's these weird sequences where she goes to see him or she, he, he goes to see her and she's having her face pulled and she's just got this huge elastic face. <laughs> uh, there's always terrorist attacks going on everywhere they go. Cause obviously it's a huge dystopia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Robert De Niro's in it. He's a heroic, um, he, it feels very inspired by Gollum. He's this guy who just shows up in, at people's houses and fix their ducts for them. He's like a heroic electrician. 
<laughs> okay. Um, uh, it's hard to explain. Like, it's a very dense, big, sprawling thing. There, he ends up falling in love with a rebel girl, hmm. and trying to protect her from getting, you know, pulled into the system. Okay, uh, but it's a it is a dystopia, and it's a very very dark movie. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking we wouldn't want to do both in one go. It would be absolutely too much. Metropolis is very long. Right. Okay. Um. Very long, huh? Well, let let's... me look up the length again. I know it is quite long. Uh, I, I guess it's it's like two and a half hours. Uh... It's long, but you know we've done longer. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not accessible. It just it would be too long to do two. Yeah, no, sure. we, we, we no, we're not going to do that. Uh, no. I, so yeah, it's going to be one of those two, but I haven't fully decided yet because they both really do sound awesome. They're both pretty great films. Uh, let's let's do Brazil this time, and we'll just remember that Metropolis is an option at some point. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so, I want to see both actually. Yeah, good movies, <laughs> both fucking classics. So then next week we'll be talking Brazil, the Thirteen Steps of Maki, and what doesn't float. Uh, again, big range. We got something from the seventies, something from the eighties, something from this year. We got comedy. We got kung fu. We got sci-fi dystopia. Yeah. Should yeah. Be fun. It'll be a All fun right. one. So do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Uh, uh, shit, no, I don't. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, all right, well, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.